Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Shut up and sit down. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast. This week's podcast, we're talking with Jordan Barnes, Close Proximity TV. Um, and if you haven't found Jordan yet, um, Jordan is one heck of a turkey hunter, uh, hunts now with uh, bow only, no blind, self-filmed. Um, it, it's really just amazing. Uh, but we talked to him at length. This is a pretty long podcast about everything turkey hunting from setups, calling, habitat, finding new areas. I mean, we kind of go through the whole thing from uh, priorities as far as finding turkeys all the way to um, how to hide yourself a little bit better and some of the camouflage and the things that he does and goes through all of his camera setups and everything like that. So um, that's really amazing. Just a couple um, housekeeping things. You know, the show with everything that's going on in the world right now, um, all the shows have been canceled. So if anybody was coming out to the um, the the outdoor live show in Lansing, um, really disappointed that we didn't get to meet up with you guys. Uh, we were looking forward to it just as much as uh, I'm sure all of you were. Um, so just, I mean, sit back, start thinking about turkey season, shooting your bow, all that stuff, spend time with your family and, you know, you know, thanks for, for listening and, and, and following along with everything that we're doing. You know, we really appreciate it. And man, it's just kind of crazy out there, but I just wanted to give a shout out to our latest Patreons, man. We had a bunch of them lately. Um, I missed them on the last podcast. Uh, Andy Pierce, Lance Petrick, Brandon Brisky, uh, Daniel Perg, John Michael Harris, John O'Bannon. I mean, and these guys are from Ohio. Uh, Lance is from northern uh, Michigan, Minnesota, North Carolina, New York, Virginia. I mean, it's awesome to see the support that we've got for the 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 podcast. And then Matt... I'm not even going to try your last name, but I've met Matt in person. He runs the Weekend Warrior Hunting Instagram, so go check him out. Um, appreciate his support. He's another Michigan guy. Um, 
just awesome. And, uh, you know, so these Patreons, they're, they're supporting our show um, directly. So they they send us a monthly uh, five bucks a month and you get into some pretty cool stuff. Um, so right now um, we do quarterly giveaways. We're coming up on the quarterly giveaway. So uh, first week of April, um, we're giving away uh, Jason Samkowiak's Bowhunting Masterclass, which is a video bowhunting course. He's getting ready to upload 20 new videos um, of information. If you listen to the podcast that we did with Jason, he's got some great information, and these are kind of like his trade secrets and kind of the things that he does. But uh, it's just some more uh, support for a great guy, and it's a lot of great information. And then also we've got that base map swag pack, um, along with a one-year subscription. If you guys haven't been checking out Basemap, Basemap is a mapping software. Go download the free version. Um, they've got a, their gear drop every week. They give away um, some really awesome prizes just kind of by letting you know, uh, kind of teaching you how to use the app. And like this week, they just gave away um, an Athens bow with uh, titanium archery product stabilizers and things like that. So they're always giving away stuff. That's available even on the free app. But it's $30 a year for uh, nationwide coverage. And now they've got integrated harvest stats and everything into there. So when you're looking at draw areas and they've got elk migration, moose migration, all that is right available right through the app as well as all the mapping and everything. And if you use our code, Code Chronicles, we don't get anything for it, but it just helps you guys out um, you know, you get 20% off of that. So it ends up being less than 25 bucks for the year uh, for a pretty awesome app. I mean, it's it's everything the other one that we were using was. And, uh, I mean, we just really like it. So there's that. And then, of course, I think this is kind of why we've got so many new Patreons is we're giving away a Tethered Phantom starter kit. So it's a Tethered Phantom um, alignment's belt as well as as the tether so that that in itself is like 300 bucks um 350 bucks i guess um but right now you know for five bucks you can basically buy yourself a raffle ticket because it's it's the last month so you can buy yourself a five dollar raffle ticket and have a better than one in 50 odds of winning a tethered phantom so that's pretty sweet so you can check that out, Bowhunter Chronicles uh, podcast, and just click on the Patreon link, or you can go to patreon.com forward slash Bowhunter Chronicles podcast. If you're not into that, you're just listening and following along, no problem. All we'd ask is that you just tell somebody else about the podcast. Um, that's the only way that we get out in front of new people. Um, so when you listen to this and you say, man, this podcast was so long, you can't even believe it. Check these guys out. Um, or there's a ton of information. I mean, there's lots of scenarios in here uh, on this podcast in particular that we we talk about that every single turkey hunter has been in. I mean, there, it's it's just, you know, the, the amount of time that, that Jordan spent in the turkey woods is incredible. And what he's doing right now with the uh, no blind in a bow is just crazy. Um, I think you guys are really going to love this one. There's something in this for everybody, no matter what your level of turkey hunting, calling, you know, whatever. Um, I think you guys are really going to enjoy this. Um, follow along. We actually videoed ourselves talking with Jordan, and we're going to have that up on the YouTube 
Um, one of the things that we we do is we put that up early for the Patreon. So all of those guys uh, will get a link via the private Facebook group that we have for our uh, Patreons. So um, that's another perk that comes along with being a Patreon. Um, one in 50 odds to win a Tethered Phantom right now. Um, check it out. If not, no big deal. Tell a friend. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the episode. Hey everybody, Adam and John back with another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast. In today's podcast, I'm pretty excited about, I think, uh, <laughs> John, we're videoing this one and John's pointing at the sign in the background. Um, I'm, I'm pretty excited about this one. Uh, when I found uh, this set of YouTube videos uh, last year or something, when we started to start uh, filming and trying to figure out how we were going to do it with a bunch of guys and, uh, you know, all of the setups, I came across, um, close proximity TV and, uh, Jordan Barnes and his style of run and gun turkey hunting with a bow, um, and a camera. Yeah. Yeah. And a camera seems very sadistic. Like he (laughs) must, I mean, he's really trying, he's really doing it the hard way. And, um, being incredibly successful, uh, doing it. So, um, really excited to talk to you today, Jordan. How are you doing tonight? Man, I'm doing awesome. I, I started to, uh, to leave work this afternoon because of this is kind of, it's that time of year and that's all my mind's on really. So for the most part, and so mornings I'm listening, I'm trying to put, put my ears on birds and afternoons i'm out scouting somewhere some public some private i'm glass and feel i'm just trying to you know i guess i have that feeling i can never prepare enough um because of the gravity of the i don't know um i guess the uh what would be the word for it how hard it is my 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 glossary is not going too well (laughs) how hard it is it really takes uh, a lot of, there's a lot of moving parts there. And I want to, I've never been a really nervous before turkey season, ever. Uh, even maybe the first one, when I, I guess my first couple, uh, I used to get nervous about, and I hope I'll get one, or I hope I'll get my limit, or whatever. Uh, even every year the way that I do it now, there's some uncertainty that looms, I guess, there. So I'm always trying to just do as much as I can in my power to make sure I'll be putting myself in front of opportunities. So anyhow, I went, I was heading to go scout and then I was like, well, I better not. These boys (laughs) want want to chat about, about the springtime. <laughs> so, um, for people who haven't come across you on YouTube or, um, you know, maybe just seen one or two of the videos, but didn't realize kind of like the depth that you've gone into it. Can you give us a little bit of an introduction on like your hunting, uh, your turkey hunting history and then kind of the way that you're doing it now? Most definitely. Um, so <clears throat> I was, I used to play, I'll give you the try to give you the short version this might be still long but uh i grew up 
playing a lot of sports growing up from like five years old to probably, I don't know, probably around that 10, 11 range. I mean, that's, I was on every team. I played every sport. I played soccer, baseball, basketball, football, whatever you could play. I was playing it. And I was at Sunday school one day and a boy was talking about, they shot dove and, um, it was actually, they shot Dove right behind our church. Uh, a guy, a judge in our community was a member of our church, and he owned a bunch of family land that he donated to our church. And so he, they were telling me, his son was telling me about how they killed a bunch of Dove and all this. And I kind of got, I was like, man, that sounds fun. You know, I've, I've shot, you know, clays and stuff before, but I really hadn't got the hunting bug yet. Um and that's kind of what got the wheels, greased the wheels and got them turning. Um, after that, I started bugging my dad that I wanted to start hunting. I wanted to start uh, deer hunting. And, you know, a, a year before that, I had, you know, missed a doe with my little 20-gauge side-by-side on a Thanksgiving hunt. And we would do that maybe on the holidays, but I never really got to really, you know, get after it. Well, a guy in the church started taking me. Uh, deer hunting and he kind of just showed me the the basics of deer hunting and then that kind of started well there's got to be something else we hunt and so springtime turkeys obviously i wanted to get to that so i um solicited the help of another guy that was a turkey killer in the church and he offered to take me one time and i missed a turkey (laughs) and i wanted to hate i hated myself for it because my dad didn't hunt at all, keep that in mind. So he hunted a little bit through college, but he didn't hunt. He wasn't—I wouldn't label him as like a diehard or even really a hunter. Um, so that happened. I didn't really get to go anymore, and I just started thinking to myself, "Man, there's got to be a way." And the guy that took me deer hunting—he didn't turkey hunt. So I was like, "Man, you know, his—he said his wife wouldn't let him do nothing but had to pick one." So I was like, "Well, I can learn something from that." <laughs> so, <laughs> So anyhow, I conned him into taking, driving me up two and a half hours on an opening morning. I don't know what year it was. Had to be the year 2000 and no, it was 1994 or five or something like that. He drove us up. He drove me up there to my granddad's family land. They had like 2000 acres, tons of turkeys. My cousins, they lived there. So they were just they were always, they grew up, they, they, I just was so envious of them because they got to hunt out the house. They were hunting turkeys, deer, squirrels, ducks, whatever it was, they were hunting. Well, my cousin was going to take me and the guy that, that brought me up there. And uh, he, he yelped up a turkey just as pretty as you want to see. Came up out of a hardwood bottom and came up on a ridge. And his head was just, I can still remember it today. <laughs> His head was just North Carolina blue, just slow walking right up to us. And I missed, I I had a better, I've said this before, but I had a better chance to solve some quantitative analysis problem than I would even cut a feather on that turkey. I mean, I was so shook up and I was a basket case. Um, So that happened. After that one, that one hit home to me pretty hard because I'd already been kind of reading a little bit about turkey hunting and getting into it a little bit. And I had a guy in the church give me a call or two, a glass call. And I had bought my first turkey call, diaphragm, saved up, you know, 
I was mad at the lady at Walmart because she didn't know how to use it or show me. <laughs> and um, I'd really been working at it. And that happened. It kind of took the wind out of myself. So then I was like, that's it. I'm going to con my dad in somehow, some way to get into this and be my taxi. <laughs> and the next spring, I had successfully conned him into getting us in a club, a hunting club. And I had successfully got him on board to get the stuff, get me the stuff I needed, and we would hunt together. And that's kind of, that's where it, it started. And uh, from there, uh, I remember it was the it was the evening before opening day, 1996. We found some turkeys that were coming back off of an ag field here in Georgia. They were coming through of some planted pines, and they roosted on a little pine ridge, small little, I say a ridge, South Georgia. A ridge can be 10 feet in difference in elevation. But we roosted those turkeys. I did not sleep a wink that night. We didn't have Onyx maps back then or base map or any other kind of mapping or app. So we didn't have Google Earth on a phone. I mean, there wasn't smartphones. So we we marked with our feet in the sand and drew out and broke limbs to figure out how to get back to the exact spot. <laughs> and the next morning, I killed my first turkey. Um, and it kind of, that's what, that's what prompted uh, it all was that right there and since then um i hunted a lot of a lot of that uh probably when i started got i got the driver's license that's when that's when i started really branching out uh all we had was that club so i started hunting a bunch of public land and most probably i want to say a little less than half my turkeys came from public uh in georgia and I know, like a lot of hunt, gotten some different hunting clubs and stuff like that, uh, and got some knock on permission property and stuff like that. But yeah, that's uh, that's kind of the shotgun era. I traveled some in the shotgun era. Um, I had a lot of success, caught in a lot of turkeys for other people. Uh, I had success, caught in a lot of turkeys for my dad. I mean, he's always tagged, always tagged out from the beginning, and uh, I was able to travel a bunch and. You know, I got to a point where I just, uh, I wanted, I kind of started to lose that feeling. I still would get the feeling when I would kill one with a shotgun, but it was, I don't know. I just, it wasn't the same. And, uh, that's what kind of started the whole bow deal. So was that when you started filming then too? Well, the progression was a few years before the bow. I said, I, I knew I started, I, I mean, and, and like I say, I'm not a, I'm not big on the, you know, this many numbers thing or whatever like that, but I had had a lot of success to where it was starting to kind of leave me a little bit. Uh, like I say, I still got that feeling. I still got that, that little bit of adrenaline dump, but it wasn't the same as what it had been being. So that's when I started using a camera some and, uh, my, I used a camera with a shotgun probably 2011 ish, 2012, 2013, and half of 2014. And that was kind of the messing with the camera and the shotgun type of stuff. And at that time, that's when I started using decoys a lot. Never really messed with the decoys back then. Um, before that, because they were, let's face it, they looked, uh, they resembled other animals 
more less than they did a turkey. <laughs> but, you know, that was the filming with the shotgun type of stuff. And I did that. And those videos are so horrible. They'll probably never air on a YouTube channel or anything like that because they were pretty, they're pretty bad as far as the quality goes. But yeah, that's kind of, I, I, I wasn't getting it like I was. And I just kind of progressed to the bow. I, I guess that's kind of how it had happened. So real quick, um, we, I think we talked about it a, a little bit before the podcast, but that, um, adrenaline thing and the, the numbers, one of the things that I get when I talk to people about turkey hunting is I get, it's double-sided. So some people say it's so hard. The turkeys are around until the season opens up. And then, uh, you know, around here we have a, a late season where, you can just buy a tag over the counter and then the birds have been called at a lot and, and things like that. Or you get the guys that shoot them off their bird feeders or in their backyard or they roost a bird or something like that. And we we only get one tag here in Michigan. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, for a shotgun hunter that has private land or the ability to roost a bird, go just watch them fly down and then they just kill them. And they, you get that 30 seconds or, you know, maybe a, a 20 minute hunt, I, th- I think would be, you know, most of the stories that I have, like I've got a buddy who's got some private and uh, there's a ton of birds out there. And I'm like, mm-hmm. if you go and shoot that bird or one of those birds right off the roost, your season is done mm-hmm. just, just immediately. And so the way that we did it, and we talked about it a little bit before the podcast here, but like, we were grinding it out last year. I mean, having a ball. And I think at the end of that makes it so much more fulfilling. So we'll, uh, just real quick, when you're talking about that adrenaline and how that was kind of lost on it, what do you say to those guys that say turkey hunting's easy because they have this ability to, you know, just shoot one whenever they want to or, or, or whatever? Well, I, I don't know most guys probably wouldn't say that um you know hunters hunters have a way with with ego um (laughs) and i have i have to always remind myself not to fall into that category because let's just face it nobody likes that um but i i think i think uh that it it can easy is kind of relative because you have people from all walks of life in different areas and regions that deal with different types of turkeys and they might not have a bunch of turkeys or all they might have is public, you know, and, and, and like I say, I've killed easy public land turkeys and I've killed very hard public land turkeys. I've killed, uh, easy private land turkeys. I have killed very hard, uh, private land turkeys. And, and I've killed some on private that were way, like I say, way harder than public and then vice versa. You get the point. So, you know, it's kind of relative to, to the region of the area you're hunting. Um, generally out West is a lot easier in my experience, especially if I'd have had a gun in my hand. Uh, some people tell you it's not, uh, it's not easy. Uh, so easy, really, that, that's a, that's a, that's a hard word to kind of, I guess, describe to people. Cause like you say, everybody's situation, if they're like what you're saying, they're, 
they've already got a bunch of birds and they can only shoot one bird. Well, for me, that was kind of the problem I ran into in Georgia is I had done all my scouting. I knew where the turkeys were. I had lots of places to go. I shoot three turkeys. You know, I kill my limit the first week. Now I need to, I got to find people to call turkeys in for, you know what I mean? Or your season's done because your season's really not done. You can still call, but you can't shoot yourself. So it's kind of, that's why I started traveling. I used to travel some states uh, with a gun in the early years in college, but I restarted all that with the bow um, just because, you know, generally, uh, knock on wood, I tend to kill my turkeys in Georgia relatively at a decent time frame. And then I need to start thinking about, you know, taking other people and, then I'm always thinking, can I make a swing to close states? But that's, you know, kind of conditioned on time because I, I don't live close to other states. You know what I mean? So you can't really just run over in the morning and go hunt a different state. Um, you have to take your weekend to do that. Then you only have a certain amount of money. <laughs> you only have a certain amount of days off. Uh, I would love to be able to travel the whole season and stuff like that but i just don't have the money to do that so i have to kind of take it for what it is and i probably hunt a lot more than most as far as different states i'm still gonna hunt with somebody every day if i got a chance uh, if i got somebody that has a that i that i trust you know as a hunter and i trust their morals and you know they have a, a place that has turkeys and then i'll be definitely going over there to to film one but you know that's kind of what's handicapped me here lately is I'm, I'm very careful about kind of who i who i go with um but yeah i mean it's it, it is in my opinion i mean it's, it's probably not that hard uh to kill one if that's the limit i mean that could like you say that could be over real quick so, with, a, with a shotgun so how is your season in georgia structured uh, so it's generally the third saturday in march um we can shoot all three turkeys uh, on the same day if you want to. Uh, it ends on May 15th every year, and that's kind of how it's structured. You can hunt from, you know, the crack of daylight, you know, 30, I think it's like 30 minutes before sunrise or something like that, and then it's 30 minutes after sunset. So, And, and I have killed them um, at the crack of daylight where I had to wait for it to get light to shoot the gobbler. Uh, and I have killed them right there at last legal. You got one up coming, you know, set up near his roost, caught him in a field, caught him out the field, came straight to me. And it was like crunching time on legal. <laughs> so, and every hour in between there. So it's, it gives you the chance to really uh take advantage of that and i and i love it when i go to states that are like that because i'm thinking i'm on a trip here and i've got to make every minute and every second of every minute count and some of those states don't allow you to to do that so with the three tags they're all can you shoot like a bearded hen or you can't you can't no No hens no hens at all okay no hens. We've. I don't think. I don't believe we've ever allowed hens uh, to be shot. Um, and our population is. It, it's pretty bad. I mean, it's. You hear that from guys around here, and, and generally in the southeast about the turkey population epidemic. 
but it is a real thing. I mean, I've, now if you go to some public lands, actually, I found more turkeys on public land leading into this year than I have private. And that's probably just because some of these, some of the state manages and some of these, um, the wildlife resource division, the way they manage some of these WMAs, they, they actually manage some of them specifically for turkeys. So they're looking at secessional habitat. They're looking at burning certain areas. They're looking at making food plots, planting shoe. I mean, they're doing all those things and it, it, it shows some of the ones I've been to, to, I've found, you know, I found six, seven different gobblers on one place. Um, and I don't have any private right now and I've got a lot of private. I don't have any that's probably got that many in a, in a smaller area like that. Hmm. And so I, I guess getting into the, the nuts and bolts of it, as far as like priorities. So what, when you're going out and you're scouting these birds or, or, or you're e-scouting, I mean, how do you prioritize? Like, is it, is there habitat that you're looking for? I mean, I'd imagine where you're at, in your own state, you're just, like you said, looking for birds. So I'd, I'd, I'd say that's probably the first priority would be finding turkeys. But when you're going out of state or whatever, are you looking for certain habitats? Or, I mean, I guess take us through your, your season as you're going from, you know, how you approach a hunt in Georgia and what you're mm-hmm. looking for. And then as you travel, how are you deciding where to go? Or Sure. That's, that's actually a great Great question, uh, man. I think, um, so obviously I have a lot of experience around where I grew up and where I live now. Um, I'm in the woods most days. I mean, I spend a lot of time just because that's where I feel like I belong. I mean, that's where, that's where I find peace. That's where, you know, I just enjoy it. And so I'm, I'm obviously, that's where I go to get away from all the, the stresses and hustles and bustles of the world. Uh, so, I'm um, I'm there all the time. So I've obviously have past history and I know from lots of time deer hunting those places, you know, I'm picking up on things then and I'm hunting different public and, you know, if I find where turkeys might have been in deer season or I say there's a pretty dang strong population and i can see there's a lot of habitat work done that's definitely going to raise my eyebrow but i'm really going to approach all of them on the fly pretty much the same way um and i really haven't this will be some new information because i really haven't broke this down on my channel i'm I'm planning on doing a whole playlist it's going to be nothing but situational scenarios as far as uh things i do or things that will help people uh, be better turkey hunters, calling, set up, how to find turkey, all that stuff. Uh, so this is something I really hadn't covered, but that's a good question. I'll tell you, you just want like a, the steps I take. I, I just want to know how to find turkeys. Okay. <laughs> so you've got your, you got your preseason the way I do it. And then I kind of, once I'm there and I'm hunting, I'm going to start looking at other things. So I'll kind of go into the, from, from A to Z, from step one all the way down. So step one is going to be, I'm going to pick several areas. So if I look at a state, I want the, the availability, the option to pick several areas. And 
several maybe different regions. Let's say if I know there's lots of turkeys in one place, in one region, I'm going to look at that, and then I'm going to dissect that kind of quadrant, and then I'm going to look at another region that seems to be decent, and I'm going to kind of pick apart that. And the reason for that is sometimes you just get into a groove and things aren't not working, and insanity is doing the same thing and expecting a different result. And I have had times when I was out of state and I was like, I got to get the monkey off my back. Something's just not like last year. Ohio, uh, did all my research, talk, did my steps. I'm about to tell you about, and I did everything and I could not find a Turkey. It's pretty hard to kill one. <laughs> if you can't find one. So I got on, went to my plan B and drove two and a half hours, got a hotel, I got into turkeys, Had I had two opportunities in one day. Uh, if I'd had a shotgun in my hand, I'd have, I'd have had two turkeys killed. Not sure if you can kill two in Ohio. I was just trying to kill one, but anyhow, <laughs> I, had a, I had two two mishaps, and those things will show up. I'll show that this year on the YouTube channel. But, yeah, so I'm looking at several areas. That's number one. Another thing is I'm going to check uh, articles in like newspapers i'm gonna look check the google i'm gonna look for articles where there's turkey overpopulation problems you'll find that a lot of times out west maybe like kansas oklahoma up to north dakota and over that's probably where you're gonna find and then you'll find some of that in the northeast uh in high turkey population areas you'll find problem areas i'm definitely going to look at that that's going to tell me generally there's just a lot of turkeys there uh, that gives me pretty good odds on knocking on doors. Uh, I feel like my odds are probably going to be pretty high there, especially since I'm taking a bow. Um, I have the ability to carry on a conversation with a stranger, so that's going to help. Um, so the people skills comes into play, just being able just to talk to generally people. And then once I figure out areas, I'll look at harvest reports. Now, I'm not really looking for the number one county. It doesn't have to be like the number one, number two, number three. But I'm looking at just to confirm that there is a decent population of turkeys there. You know what I mean? Just that I know, okay, I've established the fact that there are turkeys here. Once once I kind of do that, uh, from that point, I'm going to call, I'm going to look at the WMAs or public that's in that general area. Uh, I'm going to call the game warden for that area. I'm going to talk to him. I'm going to ask him after I've brushed up on the regulations, is there anything I don't know about? Is there anything that, that I may not know about? Or what's the most common things people just don't know about this area? Is there anything I need to know? Can I have a, a, uh, can I have a GoPro on my bow? I mean, that's like something I ran into in Colorado. When I hunt Colorado this year, I cannot have a GoPro on my bow. So nice to know that because I could get a ticket if I wasn't aware of that. Um, even like the little light that you put on your site, that all the sites come on, all your bow sites normally have like a little light that illuminates the pen. Can't have that in some states. Um, you know, light of Knox. There's a few states can't have that. So I have to pay attention to all that type of stuff. Um, so I call the game warden, do that. Then I call, ask him who he recommends as a biologist. Uh, for the area I'm looking at, I'll call those biologists. Generally, they're going to get on, they'll get with you. 
uh, pretty soon. Some of them. I had a biologist in Wyoming. It took him maybe three weeks to call me back. Ended up taking Wyoming off my list this year anyhow. Just logistically, it's probably not going to work for my West run. Um, and then generally, I'm going to look to try to stay away from the bigger cities. You hear that a lot. I, now, that's not always, uh, all, that's not kind of one of those always things. Uh, the place in Ohio that I got on the two turkeys was right next to a pretty populated city. So it's not always the case. It doesn't necessarily going to keep me from, but it is somewhat a factor I look at. Um, let's see. I've already talked about the harvest reports. Um, once I do that, I am looking for generally, I like to look at the property lines because let's just face it. Uh, a lot of times your private land, people might not hunt. The private might be really hard to get to the public that's next to the private if it's a long ways. So I kind of look at that. Um, we'll see. Sometimes you'll have fields. Fields are always where there's going to be change at. So creek systems, SMZs, stream management zones. Um, it could be parts of a lake. Um, but generally, uh, that's kind of how I kind of look at the outskirts, something that sticks out to me that is going to be hard to get to. Uh, I'll call people, just random stores in the town, gas stations, and I'll just ask the clerk, hey, have you seen turkeys around? You know, where have you seen them? Uh, that's helped me before. Uh, once I kind of figure all that out, I'm also looking for, I said, the hard to access areas, and then I'm going to be creative on how can I get to that. You know what I mean? So that might be uh, throw the kayak in the back of my truck and I ride up. Um, it might be that I have a boat with a motor. Uh, it could be I have hip boots. You know, it just depends. And that's kind of how I go about the e-scouting type of stuff. And then during the season, uh, I'm going to go to those places. And I'm going to cover, you know, basically as much ground as I can. Uh, I'm going to ride around a lot. I'm going to try to see if I see turkeys crossing roads. I see turkeys in fields that, that borders public. Um, if I see turkeys on public, uh, tracks, dust bowls, where the fresh sign is, straight sign. Uh, once I'm there and I'm hunting, I'm going to try, if it's hilly terrain, I'm obviously you know going to try to get to a high point where I can hear. Now, if it's a high point and it's like a bluff to where I can't, get off of it and get on a bird quick that's probably not going to help me so i'm going to look for a high point that affords me the ability to move on a turkey quickly uh, as opposed to having to get walk way back to the truck get in if there's nothing super close then i gotta drive way around to get around on them time is critical a lot of times uh, it can be not always but it's pretty critical sometimes to to get on that bird before he he gobbles up hens um so that's kind of how I go about when I'm there. I'm also looking, okay, where's where are other people parking at? Um, if I make my rounds through and I and it's you know I'm looking for a bird and I'm trying to cover ground, I'm going from one spot to the next, and I see somebody's always parked somewhere. Well, that probably tells me that he's on some turkeys. Uh, you know, it might be a local that has been hunting that his whole life. Uh, I'm going to look at how is he accessing that. 
So if he's accessing that and he's definitely in there, well, how can I show that turkey maybe something a little bit different as far as how I'm approaching him? Uh, turkeys are just that. They're just turkeys. So a lot of people tend to, I feel like, give them a lot more credit than they may deserve. Now, they are experts at adapting to changes to stay alive. Uh, that's what they do. So it's not so much I don't feel that they're smart, but they can adapt to changes to, to survive. Uh, they can adapt to that pressure. So I'm looking at kind of that as far as, you know, what can I do to show him a little something different he hadn't heard before? Or how can I work him? How can I approach him from an area? And uh, that that can pay off, you know, a lot of times. And so are you, um, I mean, I, I know the way that, that we hunt and I know the things that I've learned, um, you know, from my father-in-law, Frank there, um, mm -hmm. as far as like timing. So he isn't one to, to roost birds. So that isn't something that we've really done a very good job at. We're used to all the time. Back when we first started, we used to roost them all the time, but. So he just must be getting lazy in his old age and well, doesn't want to get up early. Well, the reason we did it back when we first started hunting, you could only hunt till like four o'clock. So we just you you couldn't you just put the guns away and you know. So then we'd go back and try to roost the birds. That way we'd have a little better idea, you know, for a shorter hunt. You had to get the most out of the time you had. But now that we have them all day. I mean, yeah, so and the, and we're older and lazier. So. <laughs> <laughs> so is that something that you're doing so you are you i mean going out and and I've, i mean i've watched a bunch of your videos and i've seen you go out and 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 try and roost birds or or roost them and then go back in the morning um and some of the questions that we had were, were about like about timing and i wonder how much like um does filming change that for you so maybe not in your scenario, but just in an overall turkey hunting scenario, even if someone wasn't filming versus they were, does it change the timing when you're heading out to the woods and the, the things that you're able to do? Cause you can, you've only got so much light to film with right in the morning. Well, most definitely. I mean, well, really I'm going to want to try to locate him regardless of, of, of shotgun or bow or camera or no camera, it, my goal is to kill that turkey. So I want to be his first option, if I can, off that limb, which means I want to try to locate him. Uh, I want to try to get his, his in a workable distance, not right on top of him, but I want to try to study that turkey as much as I can you know, obviously it could be a turkey that I've never hunted before. Um, but sometimes it's a turkey that I've, you know, I've got on him once. Uh, I didn't roost him. Now I need to roost that turkey because I want to know exactly where he's at. Because I want to know based on what I've learned, based on my scouting, which direction is he more more likely comfortable going to off, off the limb. So that's going to tell me, okay, and it's very situational. Um is there a field that he's been going to or that he's going to end up at at 10 o'clock? Well, that tells me that I probably need to get on that side of him. Uh, is he roosted low? Is he roosted high? That's going to play a part. A lot of people say, well, 
you can't call a turkey down a hill. Um, you can only call turkeys uphill. Well, if you think of it, and the reason a lot of people say that is because of their, they can get away from danger or whatever. But I feel, through my experience, the real reason why it's harder to call a turkey down a hill, a lot of times, especially early in the year, is you got to think that turkey from up high can see that the trick to calling and the baseline to calling is most of the time get in a position to where when that turkey can see the source of that sound where it should be coming from and where that hen should be at and you've painted the picture of what he should see and he doesn't see that then he's going to put the brakes on a lot of times unless he is a two-year-old that's just hot and you can find i've killed older birds that that act like two-year-olds before but not a lot that's a small window normally when they haven't had a hen in a while so from up high he can see down you know what I mean? He can see the source of where that sound, where that turkey should be. From down low, it's the opposite. From down low, he can't see as much, generally. Uh, so that's why a lot of times I feel like they tend to come uphill more. Um, but it kind of boils down to being decisive. The two biggest things that will just crush a hunter's, a turkey hunter's success is not being decisive enough and not being to the point, moving and making the decision and reading it accurately, taking the tur- turkey's temperature accurately and translating him accurately. Okay. Or the opposite thing, the other thing that will kill success is being too decisive (laughs) and not being patient enough so it really takes a lot of experience to be able to on the fly kind of read a turkey and figure out what to do when to do it how to do it Uh, and that goes down to calling knowing what to say being able to effectively uh spew turkey competence in your language (laughs) and 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 knowing the language and knowing what it means, not just saying it, not just saying in a monotone voice, hey, I'm over here, I am over here, and then just keep doing, I am over here, I am over here, and he just keeps hearing that, and he's like, you know, man, okay, she's over there, she's telling me, but if she's coming and she's wanting to come to me, I just really aren't aren't that interested, you know? And if you keep making him gobble, if somebody keeps making him gobble, there's a better chance that a hen's going to cut him off, you know. And that and that can be not being decisive and knowing exactly when to move, what to do. Uh, and then sometimes you can cluck one time, and that's enough, and just be patient. And if that turkey cuts you off, he's probably going to come. It might not be that minute. It might not be that second, but within hours, he'll show up. He'll show up there. So as far as the roosting thing, yeah, I do want to know. I want to know where that turkey's at for sure, uh, regardless of the situation, just because it's going to help me. uh, It's going to give me more time to, I guess, plan. 
And when you talk, can you talk a little bit more about um, like taking the turkey's temperature or, and you had mentioned in kind of like the, the show notes or whatever, when we were going back and forth about um, turkey calling inflection and, and kind of how that, I mean, you kind of talked about a little bit about it there. I mean, and where can people go to find this out other than like just experience? Because I mean, for myself, I've learned from my father-in-law, but I've, I didn't grow up turkey hunting. I didn't turkey hunt until I was probably 20 years old. And Mm -hmm. the most experience that I've had, I mean, probably one of the coolest experiences was I called in a giant bird for my brother with a shotgun and he just didn't shoot it because he thought he was deer hunting. And he's like, this is a great spot. These turkeys walked right past us at Mm. 35 yards and it was, it was too (laughs) far for this browning three and a half inch 10 gauge. Um, (laughs) He's like, but this is a great spot. There's probably more turkeys coming. Right. And I'm like, no, that, that, that was it. But (laughs) this, this hen, I got into like a, a, a calling contest against this hen and I just mimicked whatever she did with the same amount of Mm -hmm. like emotion as she was doing it. And I called in hens to me from a different way. And then that hen was coming to fight me essentially. Um, and it was a really cool hunt, but that was just me messing around with the call, trying to sound like whatever she sounded like. I have no idea what the conversation we had was. <laughs> right. Well, <laughs> probably the conversation went a little bit like this. Is she cussed you out because you're in her area and this is her man kind of thing. And then you cussed her out and then y'all just like went Jerry Springer with it <laughs> and you sparked her interest to come over and the gobbler just kind of followed. Uh, that happens a lot of, t- a lot of times. Um, so yeah, I mean, as far as you want to discuss like dialogue and situational stuff with calling. Well, like, you know, or, wa- watching your videos and things like you say, like, okay, well I did a couple tree yelps and you know, you can do, you know, I, I understand like soft calling and clucking and purring, but like the differences in, I guess the aggressiveness of the calling. You're saying we need a turkey nut so like the elk nut? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, so, yeah, so we're going back out elk hunting this year, and, like, there's the, the elk nut app, and it tells you every single call and what it sounds like and when to mm-hmm. use it and, and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And I feel like for turkeys, again, you get a bunch of different – you get people, and I feel like it's it's down south where – like yourself, turkey hunting is a way of life. And so up here we have more of the like, well, they just fly down and you shoot them or you can just shoot them under the bird feeder. Like it doesn't, (laughs) you know, so I feel like there's a little bit less, I don't don't know, emphasis put on the, the calling part, the, well, the the understanding, yeah. Understanding what the turkeys are saying. And, and, you know, those are a lot of questions that we have personally, but that we get, try to field as well. Well, the difference is, you know, you don't have to be some kind of, you know, crazy good caller to kill lots of turkeys. Um, Well, I say lots of turkeys. Let me say this. And when I'm talking about calling turkeys, not, not somebody, they got impatient. And so the turkey isn't coming when they think 
he should or incumbent when they want him to. So they do some, you know, pull up overtime on him and then end up shooting him at 60 yards or whatever. I don't feel like the turkey won on that. You know what I mean? Uh, but if you're talking about calling turkeys, somebody that there's two things that's going to kill a lot more turkeys. And that is not just, not just woodsmanship. Woodsmanship is a big part. Uh, that is a big part of being a high level. You call it, they say killer in the South. Uh, being a turkey killer is a lot about woodsmanship. And it's also a lot about calling ability as far as the realism you put into the calling ability. But I would, I would probably put a third category in there, and that is being able to take each situation, no matter where you drop somebody off, they can read and speak turkey and know how to read each situation to the point that's going to put more turkeys on their strap. Uh, they know how to react. They know what to say. They can they can spew turkey confidence in their calling. They can make every call. They know what it means. They know what it's saying. They're painting that picture for the gobbler. They know when to do it. Um, they've already been through thousands upon thousands of situations that are similar, so they're just falling back to their experience. Uh, experience, the more woods time, the more people study it and are a student of the game, the more people work on it uh, and just listen to turkeys and are in the woods with turkeys, uh, the, the better they're, they're obviously, you know, going to, going to be at it. Uh, but it has a lot to do. Like there's several variables. And I'd say it's wisdomship, realism in their calling, uh, ability to sound like a real hen and do all the turkey vocalizations, know what they mean. And a third one is being able to just read the situation. Uh, cause going back to what I was telling you, you know, not being decisive or being too decisive and making the wrong call as far as the play in the woods, like what you do. Um, and then not being patient is a huge one. There's lots of guys that would have to shoot at long range if they would just be patient. Um, I cannot tell you how many times I have had a friend with me or a buddy or something and the turkey was gobbling and I, shut up i shut up on him because it's almost like he was i want him to always put more into that basket that i'm putting into that basket if that makes sense i want him to be more invested in me than i am in him and you could play that hard to get or whatever you want to call it but that is that is what i do most all the time now if the situation tells me that i need to throw more in the basket then i will uh but most of the time i'm gonna just read it i'm constantly reading it and i have so many friends that are like come on man uh, call to him again you know call to him again i'm like mm -mm. nope <laughs> he knows exactly where i'm at he knows the tree i'm sitting on and he cut me off and i don't want him to keep gobbling because another hen might come in there and take him i'm gonna just shut up and he's gonna come and i can just remember i can remember one off the top of my head South Carolina, turkeys were roosted across a paved road from me. 
about 400 yards away. Now, I could only get 50 yards from the paved road, which would put me about 150. But I chose to go and sit in this food plot because I knew the sign said that turkeys were going to come there to that food plot that day. Now, that's not my most favorite way to hunt them. Uh, I'd rather move around more. But if the situation tells me that those turkeys are going to be there, then I'm not in the business of turkey calling, even though I, I can do all that stuff. I'm in the business of, of killing a turkey. And then I know in my mind and in my heart, if I, if I shut it down in that situation, because there's less, I have less control across that road. You know, I, I can't control what hens are over there, if they intercept, any of that. So I just shut up and he kept saying, well, aren't you, you going to call? No. I sounded like two, three hens over here. I'm shutting it down and I, I want his curiosity to get the best of him. And sure enough, he had just said something like, man, I got to go back. I'm about to crap my pants. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, man, I said, I'm going to tell you right now, do not go anywhere. Just give it 15 minutes. I'm telling you that turkey is coming and it was like five minutes later and i looked up and there he was and here he come and i shot him and uh but that's that's what really uh hurts a lot of people a hundred percent is not being decisive enough to make the move when it needs to be made and say what needs to be said and then not being patient enough those two things right there will crush success uh, for people in the turkey woods. So in that situation or in a situation like that, that, that decision-making process, like at what point or what tips would you have for us or, or the listener to say that you've got them so that you know that, you know, you said he cut you off, you know, so that, that obviously said something to you. Um, but I mean, how do you know, what's going on because in in my experience a lot of times you know it you like to hear them gobble back you know so people over call mm-hmm. it i i know that i do that and then a lot of times you'll get them where that you know that bird's strutting so it sounds like he's further away and then he's closer mm-hmm. and 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 things like that so how do you know like when he's coming or where do you how do you well, make that decision so you just mentioned something's a good topic that just i, I thought of so when you said overcalling, so I, that's, that's kind of another relative term because see turkeys, I would, I would call it not being patient um, because turkeys are just turkeys. They're on turkey time. They're doing turkey things. They're in the woods all day, every day of their life, obviously around other turkeys. So, you know, we could say, well, when I go out in the woods, you know, and just take a walk, I don't hear turkeys just calling real loud all the time. But how often are people out there? You know what I mean? In the spring. Um, that's the thing is a turkey is hearing. He has heard turkeys call loud a lot. Not all the time, but a good bit. He, he's heard that. He's heard that, that Jake get lost from the bunch and carrying on Kiki and assembly up. And he's heard that hen get a bunch of hens fighting and getting pissed off at each other. He's heard hens assembly up and looking for company. He's heard 
a hen just going about her business and playing yelping real softly, but he can hear a lot better than we can. But, you know, it really, as far as you're asking is, as I kind of jumped on the overcalling thing, but as far as reading it, how do you know? How I'm going to know is being able to read it. And that means I'm looking at a lot of variables. And I think this is what you're looking for. I'm looking at, okay, where is he roosted? Where do I think he's most likely to go based on experience in this type of situation? Is I'm, I'm always falling back to experience. In uh, this topography, in this situation, in this setup, in these variables, nothing's ever 100% the same, but you can find things that are similar experiences. And so I'm looking at that. I'm thinking, okay, how many gobblers are there? There's one gobbler. Okay. Do I hear any hens with him? Do I hear any hens with him? Um, that's going to change how I do things a little bit there. That's going to kind of, that's going to dictate what I do. Um, do I hear other hens not with him, but are they on down from him? Well, that goes back to the decisiveness thing. If I can, right then in that moment, I need to move and I need to get in between him and the hens. A hundred percent. If I'm roosting a turkey the night before and I hear hens on down and the turkey's gobbling there, I'm going to try to bust those hens up. Uh, if he has hens with him and I have not killed him, like now, like I say, you don't, you're not going to kill a turkey every single time and you can increase the odds of how often like your ratio is from the days you hunt to the days you see a turkey die. Uh, so it's not always going to just be picture perfect, but let's say I've hunted a turkey. I'll give you a, a story real quick that illustrates this. Had a turkey. He was on a hunting club. He had been hunted a ton uh, by me included. And this turkey had my number. He always had hens with him. And it hadn't got to that time of the season yet where those hens were nesting. Some were nesting, but he would always, if there was a hen within a mile there, he would have it. And so one night I roosted him. And I heard hens with him. And I went in there in the night, in the dark. As soon as I heard them, it was getting dark. And I busted all the turkeys off, off the tree on purpose. I scattered them all. And the next morning, I found him by himself. And the hens were nowhere near him. They were 500 from him, probably. And I started working him with a tree call. And they started firing off at me way down the creek. And I ended up killing that turkey. And I didn't call really again. I flew down with a wing and didn't say another word. He came looking for me. Um, so it really, there's a lot of situ- a lot of things that dictate kind of what to do, I guess. And those are some factors. Um, I'm trying to think what some other factors are. Uh, you know, how, how often is he gobbling? Uh, if I give him a little bit on the limb, but then he doesn't gobble for a minute after that and that's going to tell me that i need to really reach in the bag for some realism that means i might take a wing and, and scrape it high up on a tree to kind of act like i'm a hen that's you know situ- situating on the limb whatever i can do to paint him a picture that says that i am in fact a real turkey you know what i mean um that could be just that's all i do and, and then I just kind of play it from there and see which way he goes. And then from which way he goes is going to dictate the next move. Do I need to move or do I need to just stay patient? Um, 
that's kind of and then if he if he starts to get fired up a little bit later and he's still relatively close then that kind of tells me okay he's thinking about me a little bit he's starting to think about me he might not have hens right there with him and so now i can kind of play the game with him i can kind of try something a little different uh, and that might mean that i get him i might try to fire him up and to see how he responds to that and then if he hits me right back, but then I shut it down, but I'm not seeing him, you know what I mean? He's not coming. Well, then I might try something like leave him and go 200 yards further from him behind me where I had just set up, call some, see what he does, and then run past where I was just set up and try to sneak up another 50, you know, and set on him right there. So it really... It's kind of hard to go through them all, all the situational things uh, and how you read it. But those are kind of the factors uh, that I look at. So I don't know if you have any questions on those particular ones that I named. Those are just a few. There's a lot of different ones. Yeah. So, I mean, in that situation, like you said, where you heard those hens that were like 500 away, did you try and get in between the two or you just try to set up close enough to call him to you because you figured he'd come to the closest hen most definitely i set up in between him and the hens that were 500 down the creek okay and then i try to look at okay what's the easiest way for him to get to me from what i'm seeing right then and there you know as it's cracking day okay what's going to be the easiest way for him to come find me um what's the best setup meaning when he can see the source of that sound he needs to be within shotgun range uh, and this is, I'm kind of talking on the, on the old school way I did stuff, but that's the same kind of way, uh, that I approach the bow is the very much the same way. Um, I have to pay more attention probably to sign and kind of be a lot more careful when I'm reading a turkey with the bow, because, you know, ever since I've been bow hunting them. I guess for the last five years and filming them for the last five years, the film is a big part of it. So I have to have a decoy for the way that I'm doing it with that camera. Uh, it's just going to make it a lot better for me to even get an opportunity. Um, now I think I told you about the whole GoPro setup on the bow and all that. Mm -hmm. That's going to open up the playbook to be able to do it how I used to do it. So before we get into your, your bow setup real quick and, and kind of the the way that you're having to set up now because of the style of hunting that you're doing, um, you, we've talked about the roosting them in right early in the morning. So if that doesn't work out, um, what are you doing like midday um, as far as like locating and, and, and calling to these turkeys? Um, what are the things that you're you're keying in on or you're looking for um like in that situation that you just outlined let's say that you know that bird goes off with those hens and they've moved past or you know the scenario that i gave you where i i, I called the hens all over to me and then the the gobbler took them away um how do you react to situations like that where it's later in the day and the birds are already down uh i'm gonna try to find one that wants to die <laughs> that's that's really i mean and it depends the time of year uh but generally 
everything I'm basing off is based off experience and hard facts. So what do I know about, for instance, I pulled up on some public the other day. I found some strut sign. So it told me a turkey, a gobbler has been here multiple days to the same little area. Okay. So I think about, and this can kind of lead into another topic of like, how do you set up on field turkeys? Cause that's a whole nother thing. A lot of what we're talking about is, is, is talking about, you know, hunting turkeys in the woods where you're trying to put yourself in a position where he can't see the source of the sound. And when he should be able to see it, it's too late. Uh, so that would probably, that's another topic on the field stuff, but I'll kind of, kind of segue that direction. I saw the strut sign. I knew there's a turkey there. I knew at some point he was going to be there. So the morning I drove in there and I got to where I was on a right away where I could see about seven, 800 yards. And I was going to listen for turkeys gobbling from that point, that ridge top. Uh, and I say ridge top. This is south, I guess, deep south Georgia. So talking about a ridge top, an elevation change to where I could look about 800 yards. And it was about 8 a.m. And about 8 a.m., I see that gobbler come across that uh, right away and, and strut. <laughs> and then he went and, and went on after about five minutes. So what that tells me is the direction he came from is a direction that's where he's roosting. Um, that doesn't mean he's going to roost there every time, but that gives me a pretty good indicator of where that turkey's going to be at around that time of day. Same same scenario uh, that can work out for up in the day. There might be an area where, man, I keep hunting this certain area and I never hear turkeys that close there, but and I hunt it that morning several times but then i pull up in there and at two o'clock there's a gobbler out there and that'll kind of tell me you know that turkey's probably gone he likes to show up around that time of the day there's another public piece there's always strut sign down this one road i mean it looks like you took a a garden rake and took the center tines out of it and you just drug it all over the place i mean it's just strut sign everywhere but nobody that i've heard has he's all the same turkey's always there so that tells me okay i never run cameras or anything like that uh like i do deer hunting but that's one place i'll probably hide a camera at <laughs> to see when he's showing up there because that could tell me okay this time of day not necessarily do i need to strike him to gobble but that's kind of where i could set up and do some soft stuff and then shut up and he might show up, you know? So it's based on experience. Um, if I'm wanting to strike a turkey, I'm obviously just going to cut cover ground. I'm going to get the boots on and just strike out and try to cover as much ground, check as many fields, check as many areas that, that allow me, uh, afford me the ability to cover ground and, uh, try to find one that wants to die. If I don't know of other places that I think turkeys are probably going to frequent. So, so, well, go ahead, John. Uh, see, so when you're when you're setting up on a field situation or whatever, and you're doing, you're using your decoys. What decoys are you using? And I mean, well, just go through your scenario on you. Okay. Uh, well, I guess I'll preface it 
I guess I can go ahead and talk about how to hunt uh, field turkeys with a decoy. And then I'll kind of segue that. If y'all want me to, I could maybe talk about how to do it without uh, the decoy. Because, you know, that's how I did it, like I say, for 18 years. So I, I have experiences more with the other way. But uh, I digress. The the field turkeys with a decoy, um, you really don't need a lot of decoys. Um, one will do. I mean, really, a Jake or a hen, or you could use both. Uh, the biggest thing about that is I'm looking at, okay, I'm looking at the field first because that's where the turkey's coming to. Where's most of the sign in that field? Have I watched that field? I'm going to want to watch that field and learn about how those turkeys work that field. Uh, it could be something as simple as, you know, this will kind of go into it without the decoy, but it's still important. You know, where are the hens nesting at? It might be where they're nesting, where it's a little bit thicker along the edge of that field. Uh, is there a bunch of logging roads that come into that field at a certain point? Because a lot of times turkeys like to walk roads. Uh, where's obviously most of the sign at? Is there any topographical changes in that field? And you can have this even on, you know, flatter land turkeys in fields. But I'm looking at, is there any spot in that field where he can see both sides of the field? Because a lot of times, especially in the mornings, if you're dealing with field turkeys, when they get in that field, they're going to go to that high spot in that field, and they're going to gobble from there. And they're going to strut from there because a hen can see them from either side of that field. Uh, if you're looking at a field that doesn't have topographical changes, then I'm looking at, okay, where can that turkey see this decoy from as far as he can, uh, if that makes sense, because it's a visual thing you're obviously calling some and you you have the ability to read a turkey better in a field scenario you can look at the colors of their head change you can look at their demeanor uh which that does make it a lot easier on a field turkey period in my opinion um in, a, in the woods you're basing and reading him based on how he's reacting audibly and the field you get to also not just read him based on audible, but you're also visually reading him. So that kind of helps a lot with a field. Now there's field turkeys. Uh, if we're not, if we're not crawling and shooting them at long range, field turkeys can be pretty frustrating without a decoy or with a decoy sometimes because they've seen it. They're conditioned to it. Uh, they have experiences with it. They have bad experiences with it. Uh, so it kind of just depends. But they can, you know, if you say the wrong thing or you do the wrong thing and you didn't read his, I guess, temperature, or you didn't read him well and know that, ooh, I need to get fired up or, ooh, I need to do this or, ooh, I need to just do a little something. I need to act like I'm a hen over here that doesn't really notice him. And I've got just a hen out and I'm just acting like I'm going about my day, but not really paying him attention. Sometimes that's all it takes to shut it down. And you can just read how often does he stick his head up and look 
and then he goes about his business and he looks again that tells me he keeps looking he's thinking about something he's just sitting on something i just said and i don't need to call because he keeps looking so every time he puts that head up like that like multiple times within a minute that's telling me this turkey could act like he's leaving but he's probably gonna come if i just shut it down he'll come um so that has a lot to do with it, but it has a lot to do with the features, I guess, around the field. Ho- hope, hopefully that answered that question. What what kind of decoy are you using? Do you prefer? I have used, now let's say, I just started with them. My experiences with them go back to like 2011, I think. But back then, I think I had, I want to say, I started with that uh, pretty boy and had a white head. And that's another thing I could probably lead into is the deep the color of that head so the color of that head is a big thing when you're talking about a gobbler decoy you might hear people say um that white means submissive there is never a time ever within any circumstances that a white turkey head means submission a white and light blue color scheme on a gobbler's head is associated with breeding and dominance. And and that is based on experiences of friends of mine that have been doing as long as me and my own experiences. But a white head does not mean passive or it does not mean subdominant. Um, it's kind of like when you see something and you're, the way I look at it is, if I see something um, like a gobbler, his head's white, he wants to be seen. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If I'm like really embarrassed or feel I feel inadequate or I feel like kind of intimidated by somebody, my head's going naturally a human head. What does it do? Turns does red. it turn white? Does it turn white? Red. Red. So why in the world, I don't need to go down that, I, I, I'm not going to go down that path, because I don't want to throw names in the bus, but why in the world would I say, anyhow, I would never say that red means aggressive. I mean, and I guess that's the old notion, that we're taking a bull and how he sees the color red to play that into the wild turkey i'm just i'm not connecting that um maybe that's just me but i I don't understand how a a how a bull sees the color red and shows aggression to it means that a turkey's head needs to be red to be aggressive so anyhow i digress on another rabbit trail but yeah (laughs) white means um white means dominant uh and red means subdominant so that is a big that I've seen that uh, play a huge part in in decoys being effective. Um, when I've been using them, when I started with the shotgun and filming, that's when I used them, and that's I learned very quickly. Uh, I had several turkeys. That was the first decoy I ever bought. Was that pretty boy had an all white? Y'all remember that? Yeah, yeah, it has an all white um, head or whatever. And early season that's going to work. I mean, it can work early season because you got to think 
you've got one guy that's trying to be dominant, and more than likely he's going to be the one that ends up being the dominant bird in that flock. But he's got the three stooges over there that there's there's strength and power in numbers. <laughs> they're like the Golden State Warriors over there. You know what I mean? They're like they're three two year olds, and they're thinking you ain't beating up on me, buddy. But where's three of us, and there's one of you. And so it will work early season. Now let some of those two-year-olds, the two-year-olds are going to normally bust up because they're going to fight with each other. And then they're going to disperse a half mile or more or whatever. They're going to disperse. That's why you see a lot of turkeys like in the winter somewhere. And then you don't see them in the spring because they disperse. They got to find food. They have their certain ranges. It's the same thing with kind of like bucks. You know, y'all know all about bucks and, and that kind of thing. Gobblers and bucks have a lot of similarities because they're all bachelored up early and then they split up and the buck goes out away from another buck and they all establish their kind of core home kind of ranges. And so that's kind of the reason why it'll work early. But once they start splitting up like that, that right there is when, you know, this it's going to be one gobbler. You'll have a two-year-old maybe or there might be two two-year-olds or more in an area but they're not gonna be together if that makes sense and each one of them has had a, has had a little bit of of a big sharp spur and a big turkey that's whipped them <laughs> so that's when they see that white head uh it causes a lot of problems and um give you a quick situational thing that happened this is a real story had a turkey gobbling his brains out in the corner of a field in southeast Bullet County, first year of that decoy, he gobbled at least 100 times if he gobbled one time. And I shut up on him. And I was like, he's going to come. He's coming. And he came out in that field, y'all. And when that gobbler came out in that field and saw that, I had that decoy facing him so you could see that white head. That turkey, y'all, picked up, ran, and flew. <laughs> about 800 yards across that field and i looked at my dad and i said what did you do did you move what in the heck Roland?" and i'm like come on pops i mean that was rookie you know better than that you moved or did you you know and he's like son he said i had not moved a muscle i said i didn't either and i said it had to be that decoy and that's when i started putting the pieces of the puzzle together and I ended up the next day, uh, I killed a turkey in the same field that had inch and a half spurs. So, uh, he, he thought, oh, he's seen old big Louie out there and was like, oh man, that dude just whooped my butt earlier. <laughs> most definitely. <laughs> most definitely. Yeah. And I ended up killing the other turkey, uh, without a decoy because he was so wigged out. Uh, I probably could have used a hen, but once something doesn't work like that, I just err on the side of caution. So, like, the next week, uh, I actually, I called that turkey in for my dad, and he killed him. And he had, like, four holes in his breast. And they were just that, it was the same turkey. I even took the turkey that I killed and put his spur inside the hole in his breast because I already had his foot cut off on the table. And it fit <laughs> perfectly. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, we learned something there today. But, you know, you're always learning. Uh, there's always something to take away. And uh, 
you can never know it all. You know, but we can dang sure take take our pen and paper and put things in our mind that we've we've learned from failure and, and epic failures like that. Yeah, that's a theme on our show. <laughs> it happens, man. I'm I'm nervous. You know, you never know what kind of year you're gonna have, especially when you you know you putting other variables in there. So you just have fun. You just enjoy it and. You don't measure it on numbers. You measure it on the experience is the way I look at it. Um, and it's a blessing that we get to do it for sure. And so I don't think we ever got into like the way that you're hunting turkeys now. I mean, you're going with a bow, self-filmed, no blind. So let's talk a little bit about that style of so hunting the, turkey. The hardest of hard. Yeah. I Not mean, only is it a bow, which is hard. Okay. Filming's hard, and then without a blind. <laughs> I mean, you're going to see him in a couple of years, and he's going to have a, a traditional bow or an atlatl or something. <laughs> well, I don't want to be spoiled alert or nothing. Um, no, I'm, I have. I've been talking to some people that are way uh, more knowledgeable than I'll ever be on just. I, I'm always trying to learn more. Uh, about bow hunting because I, I've been bow hunting only uh, deer since 2011. And, you know, you hear, always hear people say bow only, you know, and everybody kind of people ruin the bow only thing. I feel like for some people because they throw ego on it. Um, somebody that hunts just with a bow is no better than anybody else out there that hunts with any other legal and ethical means of hunting. Uh, but it's kind of like an intimacy there. You know, it's, you hear Will Primos talk about it. He talks about it best. Bow hunting is an intimate thing because it requires, unless you're Levi Morgan, props to Levi, uh, I'm no Levi Morgan. I'll never be Levi Morgan. But I don't really want to be him. There's lots of traits Levi has that are great traits. So not, like, I don't want people to think, oh, he's not Levi Morgan. But I don't want, I don't, that, like, that's, as far as hunting, now I'd love to be as good a shot as him in the, in the uh, professional archery circuit, because I'd probably make a lot of money, because he's, like, the best to ever do it. Uh, but as far as hunting, I want to be close. I want to be close. I want to see that gobbler. I want to see my eyeball. I want to see me in the reflection of his eyeballs if I could. Like I want to be that close and you see things that people never see and you feel things in emotion that people will never feel. And I can sit here guys and, and y'all have done it some, but you can, you can try to explain it to somebody uh, that's never done. It, right. Mm -hmm. And you can try to paint a picture for them of what it felt like and how crazy and intense it was. And what you learned and being that close and what you saw and what you experienced a million times, we can describe that. But until they pick up those items and pursue that animal, especially an Eastern for a full turkey season, they will find that they might not have many videos to show. And they might not have 
a tenth of the turkeys they're used to seeing die. <laughs> but you can you can say it, and you can try to paint it out. Um, I don't try to really go after people and tell them that's not my place. You know, it's not my place to tell people you need to be doing it this way or whatever. But I'd be lying if I said, you know what? Um, I'm not going to tell them, but I'm just thinking hearing their story. And you know, I love a good turkey story, but I'm just thinking, or I like seeing people be have success and stuff. But I'm just thinking they don't have a clue. <laughs> I'm just thinking like they, they'll never know what it's like until they experience it. They just won't, you know, uh, you're so handicapped. Uh, it's ridiculous. And, um, it's only the guys that are just a mental or just a glutton for punishment <laughs> <laughs> that I guess you could fit in that category. And I guess I'm guilty, but I, I, it's kind of one of the things if I hadn't experienced that kind of feeling the first time that it happened that way in 2014, the verse, I think it's the first YouTube video I have on my channel, but if it wouldn't have felt like that, and when you see me in that video, I'm freaking out because that, but that is real raw emotion right there. Uh, and that, that is what I'm chasing every time. And so, yes, uh, the same, am I the same person if I shot one with a shotgun these days? No, I probably would not even elevate my voice. <laughs> but that's just me you know what i'm saying and you take the same person and i get a turkey at five yards because it's 20 mile an hour wind and i'm tucked up under a chinaberry tree and he's five yards and i shoot him and i mean and i got it on film and i had no blind or nothing uh i mean i'm gonna act like a like i had never killed a turkey <laughs> or if i sit in a pouring down rainstorm Without any blind, and I'm just getting soaked because I only have a certain amount of time to hunt. And I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, I am an idiot. <laughs> and I yelp a turkey across the field, and he comes in there at seven yards, and I shoot him. I mean, you just cannot describe it. Uh, I can try to show it on these videos and such, but it's people are missing out, I guess. I'm, that's what I'll say. <laughs> They're missing out. It's fun. So, so what changes when you're you're hunting them with a bow now? What what different <sighs> tactics do you have to use? Or, or, or well, I'm I'm using all the same approach and all the same tactics. Uh, and, and getting back into all the things are gonna it's gonna apply just the same. Everything I do is very much the same, but without a decoy in a field. It's more important. Some things are more important, like the turkey in Kentucky. I don't know if you've watched that or have watched it, uh, but it'll, it'll kind of illustrate what I'm talking about here. Had a turkey that he didn't want to act right off the limb. All right. We were across one field in a block of hardwoods. He left out. A different turkey gobbled the same time I worked that one right down the edge of the field, but it was tall wheat. Well, as we're still working this turkey in the hardwoods, that turkey had gobbled all the way across that field 
and let's say he went to the top field, the field that was above that one that was clean. Okay, it was a clean field, like just like you see a, a, a soybean field out west this early. It's just brown, clean. Well, when the hardwood turkey quit, I said, let's get up, let's make a move, let's swing wide, and let's swing to the corner because I knew it was thick up near a corner. And this turkey was basically had a fence line in between those two fields, and he was out there in that field just gobbling his brains out. So we made a big loop. We came into that corner where it was thick. And the reason I approached that way is because that's the only area that afforded us the ability to get tight to that, that field just because of the thickness of it. And I knew he couldn't see the source of the sound. So I set up right there, and I was planning on just thumping him and calling him right down the field and draw him before he got there and just thumping him. And the video was going to suffer. It wasn't going to be some great, you know, cinematic film or nothing. It was just going to be something. I'd have something to show. Well, he started kind of coming down to, to us. And he saw a hen across the field. And he started going that way. But I was already in that kind of, you hear people talk about the bubble. I was kind of already in that bubble. So I started purring and clucking to him. And I had my buddy start scratching the leaves. And it, the vegetation was thick, though. So I knew... We were only five yards from the field, but he still couldn't see it. So that scratching the leaves, he's gobbling, and here he comes. And he come right up in there, and my air deflected off a limb. So, but that was a situation where it was a field turkey. It was the same tactics that I use, same way I hunt a turkey with any weapon, but I did it with the with the bow there. Um, when you throw a decoy into the mix it's going to handicap you, in my opinion, a lot more with the bow because you can't just get up and make that quick, decisive movement. You can make a quick, decisive movement, but now you've got to pack your camera. you got to put it all back in your vest the way you have it. you got to snap your bow into the back of your pack. You've got to either grab your bow. you got to put the decoy back in the bag. you got to grab it. There's so many moving parts that you got to round the troops, so to speak, and then make that move and make sure it's a, the right one quickly and set up on it. You've got to walk further into the territory that you're you're in hostile territory. You got to walk further towards the turkey, set the decoy up, and walk back further away from. So you're losing ground, so to speak. Um, so it just it makes it it clutters the situation more. I guess is where I'm going with that. Um, so the, the main points I'd say with the field is pay attention to like how thick it is. That's going to dictate how close you need to get to the field or how close you can. Uh, in the thicker situation, you're always going to want to be to where when that turkey can see the source of that sound, you can kill him. That's just how that's how you want to approach any situation. But a field situation is more important. Uh, it could be a, a topography where you just get on the bottom side of that hill or that topography in the field, you might crawl out in the field and you might call him right over that lip and pop up and shoot him. Um, that's worked plenty of times. Uh, another one is if it's thick, you can get closer to the field. Just play that turkey how you normally play him. Make the same judgment calls on when to call, what to say, all that stuff. And he'll come and come investigate because he can't see because of the thickness. If it's open, a lot in the south, you'll have like a lot of these fields and there's like you can see 100 yards or you can see 70 yards, you know, from the edge of the field. Well, then 
you need to be far enough away to where he has to leave the field and come investigate to find you. Uh, and a lot of times the main problem with that one is a more or less aggressive approach, but it's more of a knowing what to say or how to spark the interest with the call. But a lot of that's going to dictate how many hens he's got out there. Because let's just face it, we've all seen a gobbler that just follows hens around all day long, and you're just trying to watch them the whole time. In that situation, I'll watch them, and I'll try to just read them as they're going back to roost. I'm figuring, okay, which side they're going to filter off at. And when I make that last, I'll hang on the very last moment where I know they're gravitating they're gravitating towards a certain side and they're going to leave out that side, I'll make a big loop on them and then set up right there. And normally, the hen's got in her mind, she wants to go that way, he's going to go that way, and if you tone it down and just do a little something, you can pull them to you. So that's kind of how I approach uh, the turkey kind of in a field without a decoy and that's also kind of diving into a little bit of like how I hunt them with with the bow but the biggest thing is it's a lot of preparation there's more moving parts and there's more preparation that has to take place there's more thinking about okay very quickly I have to get something my goal so just let me ask y'all this what what would be the goal filming a turkey with a bow without a blind what what do you think the biggest like uh topic of importance would be from y'all's perspective just from the outside looking in well i i mean i would say you first you got to get the turkey close enough and then you got to draw At, most definitely so the concealment is the biggest problem uh that 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 raises its head it's I'll tell you a thing that I do that helps me when I'm moving quick. If there's leaves and litter and, and all kind of stuff, I'm trying to find a quick backdrop as soon as I can. Then I'm trying to find what's the best setup that's most probable to work to where I'm not, especially if it's hilly, you don't want to put that decoy just over the lip because it'll startle him. You know what I mean? He, he's, he's not expecting a turkey to be there and it's like, you play peekaboo with him. Like he pops <laughs> over the hill and it's like, oh my gosh, there's a Jake there. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so you want to kind of get far enough off if you're look it's different. It is different in that regard now to to a, a different weapon. A different weapon, he's dead right there. As soon as he popped over, he's dead. With the decoy, there's what there's things that make it a lot harder that way. Because well, especially with the bow, because he has you have to kind of set him up for it. You don't want to just surprise him. Um, you want them to be able to come over and then kind of find you, if that makes sense. So you got to kind of, that's the hard thing is trying to pick a setup on the fly that's going to work to read it right. And a lot of times it requires, it's going to require way more setups than it would be from a different weapon without this style and all this stuff. It, it's just, but the more time, you, people have to be willing to invest a lot of time and be all into it. Because I've had guys... I'm not going to name names, <laughs> but I know a guy, he's a decent caller, um, and he kills, he kills a lot of turkeys. He's a good woodsman. Um, you know, heck of a guy, still a good turkey hunter today. Um, I think one year he had a pretty good year. I think he, he saw, he caught a bunch of turkeys for buddies. He, I think he saw like 20 turkeys die. 
in the southeast, which is pretty dang good. Um, and he picked up the bow, and he picked up a camera, and he said, I'm going to do it all year. I'm all in, which I still today, where he has a lot of respect game for me. Uh, not that it matters to anybody or him, but to me, I was like, that's pretty cool. This guy gave it a full year. Um, he did not kill a turkey with a bow, <laughs> with a, without a blind and, and a camera. And, and for me, I don't say that to say, oh, he didn't. I, it, there was nobody out there, y'all, that was pulling for this cat more than I was. To, to film it, the self-film, all that. I even gave him the key to my best place and said, X, I want you to go here and you'll have a good chance if you'll be patient and you play it right. If you set up around here, they, they always seem to go to this one spot. I've shot a lot of turkeys from this corner of this field. And sure enough, he struck one. It came in. He lost it. Um, I lost three turkeys the first year I bow hunted them and filmed. I lost three. I killed one, lost three, and then killed two. So uh, that type stuff happens, and you learn shot placement. That's a big thing. I tell anybody, go, don't look at the stuff you see on the on, online or the web. Um, I think there's one, I'm trying to think of who I would endorse for a good, like, turkey shot placement video. Hoyt might have a decent one, I think. The biggest thing to look at is the drumsticks. I want to go above the drumsticks about three inches. I like the front of that bronze pad on a on a straight broadside turkey. You put it just above the drumsticks on a tight turkey, meaning not strutting. You put it about four inches above the drumsticks right on the front of that bronze pad. Um, they're going to see Jesus. <laughs> If if a turkey is phasing you, I don't like that shot. I shot one in Idaho that way, and it worked out. And if you watch that one, you saw me chase a turkey across the thing like Michael Johnson on crack, um, but not preferred. You getting? I, I that was a rough state. Let's just put it that way. I, I was, and and I, that was wrong for me to take that shot. Uh, I'm still kind of disappointed in myself because I. I take a lot of pride in respect to the animal to, you know, do it justice. And that was, that was not good. Um, I had a kind of the same similar instance in Kentucky with a deer on public that I made a horrible shot and I followed it up with a good one, but it still kind of makes me sick. Um, a turkey, I like them tight. I don't like them strutting. I have shot them strutting. Strutting, you better be looking at that bronze pad but at the bottom of it i'm going lower if he's strutting and i'm looking at a tight turkey strutting broadside i'm looking just above the drumsticks again and i'm putting on the bottom of that um bronze pad the very point of it you know how that bronze pad on their wing towards the like the head more of the bronze pad not the back of the wing if he's strutting or tight and broadside or, or quarter away i'm sorry i like that shot and I like to go on the back of the bronze pad, back towards the butt, above the drumsticks. And the easiest way for your listeners to kind of think about it is look in between the legs is what's helped me. Go, always go in between the legs. 
So you want to look, you want to put your shot, obviously, quartered away on that bronze pad on the back of it, and that should land you about the center of that turkey in between the legs. Um, same thing with the sideways, tight or strutting. You want to be right in line with the leg, um, and you want to be about right on that bronze pad, either above it a little bit or below it a little bit. And I like a head that cuts a lot of a lot of turkey. I like two inch at least. You know, I've shot them with the Ramcats. I've shot them with another hybrid head called a bipolar. I've shot them with the Simmons Tree Shark. Um, I just like the Simmons. To be honest with you, no, no, no product puke or or that stuff. But I can shoot it over and over and over again. I don't have to change screws, bands, bolts anything uh like the ramcats you have to retighten them every time uh and peel them back uh, you don't have to do any of that with the simmons tree shark it's just shoot that sucker and uh pull it out and shoot it again <laughs> yeah i uh i have a little shot placement issue uh, with <laughs> we, all have. <laughs> we all have brother it's not it's okay it happens it's gonna happen to me you know, I it I'm not um I like I say I'm nervous going into every year. No one's an expert really, and uh, we all are susceptible to failure. <laughs> yeah, I'm just waiting for John this year because he's he's up first, so he was very, oh, yeah. <laughs> very hard on very hard on me. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Yeah, I was actually telling my wife before I came out here, I'm like, you know what? I said, I give Adam a lot of crap. And I said, but I'm up first this year, so I need to uh, watch my mouth because I'm going to have to uh, put the money. I'm going to have to give it give it all I got and make sure that I uh, can uh, walk the walk. You know, it's, it's funny listening to you talk, though, because, like, my father-in-law, same thing. We give him a lot of crap, and, you know, I make fun of him because I say that, oh, he doesn't want to get up early in the morning. And you said a bunch of things that that he says. A, I mean, he's like, you know, turkeys during the day, they're just doing turkey stuff. Exactly. You know? <laughs> he says, says the exact same thing. Easy to says, you know, they're just doing turkey stuff, and, you know, you can just call them. You just got to, you know, feel them out. You got to wait for them. And then, you know, he – that turkey that I – missed whatever shot bad shot last year uh right was the first turkey i mean i killed my first big turkey over a decoy but we had like a flock of decoys in a field and we just called a flock <laughs> in right right there uh-huh. and i killed that one with a shotgun but yeah other than that i've killed 90 percent of my turkeys with no decoy and it seems like every time yeah. we have a decoy we mm-hmm. get the birds to hang up and they, they just don't, well, they don't commit. You know, uh, a lot of people, I think, so I see, like I say, I'm, I'm all for whatever's legal and ethical. I have my own taste and styles that I kind of like. Um, but I'm not like, uh, what's the best way to put this? Who am I to tell someone that pays for their tag, just like I do mine? And we're supposed to be recruiting new hunters, not pushing people away from hunting. Uh, 
y'all heard of the Pittman Robertson Act, right? Mm -hmm. So license dollars fund conservation. Uh, that's, that's why we have what we've had. It's from people that came before us um, that were hunting all kind of different ways. I have to pay an extra license fee to use a bow in some states. But I don't complain a bit about that because I know I'm supporting conservation. When I go out here to this WMA and I see all the work that license dollars fund, no complaining here. So, I, But I think some people have a uh, – it is. It's an ego thing. It's a pride thing. Um, that, And I don't know. I, I kind of see why they are like that, but it's unfortunate. But they're trying to degrade someone else's experience based on their, um, their level of how they, I guess, translate it, how they see it, uh, which is wrong. You know, it's, it's not. And I think a lot of what sparked all that was when people started fanning them and stuff. Uh, because it's kind of like the same thing as a blind. You're taking away that turkey's main defense. Um, and that turkey cannot see you. So when people walk out there with a fan and stuff, well, obviously, now you're coming at him. And you're taking away his defense of sight. And so it's kind of like people view it as cheating and stuff. So that's kind of, I say, you know what, if that's your thing and if you'll stick to your limit and that's how you want to shoot your turkeys, you will not hear any complaints from Jordan Barnes. <laughs> um, it might not be my style or taste, uh, but if that's how they want to fill their tags, you know, that's cool. Cool for that. Uh, not not something I want to do, not something I would ever entertain, not something I would ever teach, not something I would ever show. Uh, bow, gun, pistol, um, it doesn't matter to me. It's just kind of not my style. But like I say, I'm not going to sit there and, and I'm going to congratulate everybody. You know? I have a buddy comes up and say, hey, I, man, we, we try this turkey, everything, couldn't, you know, this is what we did. I'm like, hey, that's cool. You know, I have done it one time before. Um, so I have done it before, but it's, you know, uh, that's cool. You know what I mean? Uh, I think that's kind of, you get that with the whole decoy world. Cause it kind of, it kind of goes bowls over from that to a regular decoy. And they say, oh, cause sometimes, yeah, sometimes you can find a, a turkey with a decoy and he'll come running in there. Um, but that's not going to happen. If that was the case, guys, let's just think about it. If all you had to have was just a decoy and that was it. Um, now, I get it with the shotgun. There you go. Here, I'm opening up another can of worms. <laughs> you got the TSS, and these guys are hating on the guys with decoys. <laughs> it's really comical to me. I don't do Facebook anymore. I post on the channel. I get off that thing because it's just, I can't. I don't even want to see it. I don't even want to give it the time of day. But you have the... TSS guys bashing the decoy guys and the decoy guys bashing the TSS guys. <laughs> the guys with the guys that hunt with the TSS are saying, no, we're greater than you. We're greater than thou because we don't use a decoy. That's, uh, that's cheating or whatever. Right. And so then you got the guy, <laughs> then you got the guy with the decoy saying, well, that's cute, but 
you know, how about let the turkey, how about beat the turkey? Don't, you know, crawl so many yards, then shoot him at 60 or 70 with the new chokes and loads. It's kind of like shooting them with a muzzleloader or something. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's just a back and forth type of things. There's all kind of, I say, Hey, y'all have fun. We appreciate your license dollars because that funds conservation so we can all enjoy it. <laughs> and I'm, I'm down with everybody. I'll, I'll congratulate all everybody, you know, that and as then, long as it's legal in your state, you know, we yeah, see, have at it, man. Don't complain. Just shoot your turkeys, go on to the next state, have fun at that next state, however you want to do it. Yeah. And, um, you know, go on to the next one, calling some for your buddies. Yeah, my dad, he hunts with a shotgun. Um, my wife has never really turkey hunted much. I caught her in one when we were dating. Uh, well, two. She missed one. She went twice with me. She shot at two turkeys. <laughs> and she just really wasn't, I guess I made it too easy for her. That's not normally how it goes every single time. Uh, she just got lucky. She's kind of got spoon fed or spoon fed, I guess you could say. Um, but my dad, he, you know, he shoots a, a good gun and choke combination. And if I'm hunting with him, we're normally, uh, for video, the decoys help, but I like to have just a shooter when I'm hunting with somebody and I'm filming and not have, that's it. Because I don't have to worry a lot of cases that makes it easier without a decoy in some ways because you don't have to worry about where do we put the decoy you know what i mean right uh can we get it out there in time or are we going to get busted uh we can call way back there and then advance sooner and we can advance quicker and we can set up closer to that sweet spot and not say nothing you know what i mean so there's some uh, there's a lot there are a ton of ways that we could break it down and it checks the bounces where one's harder and one's easier and vice versa. That's just the, the truth. Going back, the to, truth. going back to our like decoy, you know, like I said, yeah. we, we can't reap or we fan here in, in Michigan. But like Adam was saying, like in the past, we have a flock of decoys. I still have like the flock of decoys and they're literally like blow up shiny plastic. <laughs> and so I think yeah. that had a lot to do with it. Now, last year we had the Avion X. Mm-hmm. which Adam put a really nice shot on and deflated him. <laughs> uh, but that turkey came right in and whooped the crap out of that that little Jake decoy. And then, you know, the other thing I was getting at was like, you know, like you hear about the Dave Smith decoys, you know, they're they're, they're real lifelike. And, right. And, you know, I heard like John Dudley talk about how he used to use this, you know, the regular decoys and didn't have much success. Then all of a sudden he got turned on the Dave Smith decoys and then it's, you know, like crazy. Now the birds see that and just come right in most of the time. But, well, I'll say this. Um, so obviously, you know, in the same sense that realism in your calling and knowing what to say, the whole spiel about, you know, what, when and how, uh, and painting that picture and knowing how to be decisive and all that stuff plays into it in the same sense, the realism of what your, you know, obviously your, your decoy looks like it's going to play a huge part. The, the more real, the better. Right. Um, and that's kind of why, to be honest with you back, I mean, they had this like, what were they? 
Flambo. What were they? Mm-hmm. Feather Flex. My yeah, dad got those one like of those. Foam ones. We tried it a few times, and it was like, I, "What is the point of this?" <laughs> so that we never, for eighteen years, we never messed with them. I mean, they were just they. There's no point in them. Yeah, they were lightweight, but they didn't. That we didn't have them work for us. Oh. And we were just used to just calling them, you know, naturally. But yeah, those the I'll tell you one that looks even better. Uh, and I didn't think you'd get better than a Dave Smith decoy, but that and like I say, I'm the last one to push product and all that. I, I try to keep it real and authentic and relatable on my channel. Um, cause I value that when I watch someone else's stuff, they're not trying to, it's not an infomercial. It's, it's just real hunting. But, uh, that avian X, uh, Jake, that HDR that thing looks like a real Turkey. Like no <laughs> doubt I could put that thing next to a mounted gobbler. Uh, and I mean, it, from a distance, this is, that's it. The flocking's at the right position. I mean, everything. But yeah, so realism in any aspect is going to help for sure. Um, and it's getting to the point where, yeah, I'd have to say, I can see where some of the guys that, that, you know, have a nasty taste in their mouth to, to the, the real decoys, how real they look that you don't have, it kind of, people can rely on them a little too much. If, if, if they're wanting to learn, they can rely on it too much. If they, if they're just out there and they don't care and they only got, you know, seven days to hunt. Um, well, check out, I've got some, I've got a friend that he doesn't have to have a decoy. He doesn't need one. Um, he's killed a pile of them without it, but if he wants to use one, he's going to, you know, use one. He doesn't have to, there's nothing he's got to prove to anybody, but the, the realism in those decoys does, I mean, I can see where some of those guys are like, man, y'all are missing out in the same way that me and y- y'all can kind of say, man, experiencing the bow without a blind and all that. Uh, even with a decoy, your handicap is you're just trying to get from the camera to the bow. And there's like a 90% chance you're not going to get a chance when the whole thing starts. You might have to put 20 turkeys in front of you before you get one that acts right and or turns right in the same way that we're trying to explain the feeling to those guys you know they're probably trying to say that same sentiment to the guys that all they ever do is use the decoy you know so i, I can kind of see kind of how they're looking at it i guess because they are realistic i mean they're there's places that yeah you could probably just set that sucker out there and not say nothing and if you could control yourself not to call you might <laughs> you might kill some turkeys um but yeah i like to be involved more you know what i mean i like to be involved with with the turkey and communicate with him and and i like to hunt him as raw and real as possible and that's kind of that's kind of why the i use the bow but i mean i don't know that's kind of why i've, I've I'm wanting to experiment with this, uh, the GoPros on the bow setup. So let's, let's talk about that with your, the camera setup that you have been using and then your, your new for, for 2020 setup. Okay. All right. So I guess the listeners, they, they want to know like the exact model. 
and uh, I use a Canon, if they do want to know, I use a Canon FX400. Um, it is a 4K60. Um, it does shoot, I want to say, Ultra HD as well, but it'll shoot up to 4K60. Um, it has XLR inputs for audio. I run a Sennheiser MKE 600 mic. That's a boom mic. Uh, one little tip on that is get a coiled XLR input cable with an elbow on it. Because if you use a regular short XLR input cable without the coils, you're going to get some static interference. Um, the audio is not going to be as clean. But that coiled, I don't know if y'all know what I'm talking about. I might be speaking French. But um, that coiled uh, XLR input, male, female, it, uh, well, I guess it's two males. And you have a female in your boom mic and a female in your XLR input. But that makes a big difference. Um, I take olive dab uh, spray paint and I spray it into a paper plate. I take a sponge brush about one inch wide and I will dab that sponge brush on that all of that paint. I'll take my front uh, lens hood off of my cannon and I paint that because that's what the turkey's going to see when he's coming in. It's the details. Uh, you remember I was talking about the details a lot. It's a lot to get turkeys within five to 10 yards um, and to get drawn on them and shoot them. You have to think about the details and uh, like ultra, you hear people say ultra all the time nowadays. So I, I'll steal that word. Ultra concealment. Um, the, you know how on these sunshades or lens hoods, you can uh, flip the little thing open to where it'll open up where mm -hmm. you can see your lens. Mm -hmm. Even that on the outside is all dab green. <laughs> um, I don't know why, because it's, flipped open but when it is flipped open there's going to be black there on the back side of it so that guess what that's all olive dab green um i put a mist of olive dab green on my windscreen on this camera i tape it out with mossy Oak original bottom land because there is no other pattern been wearing it since <laughs> i was 11 uh that's pretty much if I could have my sheets in original bottom land, I probably would. But my wife probably doesn't like that, so that's not going to happen. Then I have what's called a, uh, they want to know the, kind of the, I use a Nomad vest, okay? No product affiliation there. I use a Nomad vest, and the reason why is because I have just found it's the most durable. So I've probably had a gajillion turkey vests since I was 11. This is the only vest that has made it one full year to where I'm going into the second year of this thing, and I feel like it's going to make it without any tears, rips, any wear and tear, excessive wear and tear. It just fails. There's no failing on this thing that I can see. So It, it holds up better than any vest I've ever had. Um, and I like it because, and they can jot this down, if they want to know what kind of tripod, because this is important for my kind of style. It's a uh, Taurus. I want to say it's a pro black. It's a little fluid head tripod. Targus, I think is what it is. You can find it online. 
think from Walmart, it's only like 30 bucks. So if you break it, I've got like three of them. So if I'm on a trip, I always carry another one. Um, and that's something I probably didn't touch on as much as how to kind of the out of state logistics and some of that. But I have that one. I'll olive dab that whole thing. It'll be all olive dab, the whole tripod. And it will pack up and go fluid head down and pack inside my vest. And the way it is held tight in there is I use a boat cushion. So I'll take a fat boat cushion and it will go in the in the back of my vest. So I have the boat cushion in the back of my vest. I have the the back of my vest zip is zipped down or pulled down tight with the little quick clips and it's cinched tight. I've got the tripod down facing down in there. I can easily pull it out. And then I'll have a bottle of water that I'll put on the other side of that boat cushion. Um, my bow, I can snap and clip it. I can clip it, pop the clips on the back of that back open, and I can snap the clips over the string. A lot of times I like to do that on cables because you got your peep right there and you could be rubbing on that and you could pop open your peep tie or something like that. But I have done it that way and I had any problems. It'll cinch tight, and that way I can take my vest, put it on, and I've got my bow. I've got my camera. I put my camera a lot of times on top of that boat cushion pad, and that's kind of how I tie it all in. So I can pack that big camera, which fits perfect, tight, nothing's shaking. I've got the boat cushion. I've got the tripod, and I've got my bow. And so I can walk hands-free and have my vlog camera take a breath here because i'm giving y'all lots of information but (laughs) the the next piece of equipment is my vlog camera which is basically a gopro clamp it is a uh seven hero seven black um anybody that's looking at getting this stuff just make sure you buy a hero black not from somebody but from actually gopro make sure you have the updated firmware make sure you do not this is the biggest thing this took me a year to figure out so i can save someone a lot of aggravation the gopros are awesome there's some cheaper ones out there but if you do go gopro which i love them i've got three of them um get the sd cards sand sand disc get one that's at least 90 uh I think it's megabyte or whatever it writes per whatever it is. I don't know all those terms. I'm no uh, expert on all that stuff, but I know to get the sand disc and make sure you buy it from like Walmart or buy it from BH photo video, uh, an authorized supplier. Cause what I have done is I bought a bunch of cheaper ones. Cause the price is like, I think it was, I don't know y'all I think it was $30 cheaper per card or something. And I bought it from somebody online and it comes to find out they're counterfeit. And that's why the biggest problem people have with these GoPro here, sevens and eights and all that is they freeze a lot of times and they malfunction while you're recording. So you have to take the battery out, reset it, all this crap. Um, that's because of the card. So I've tested it with, I sent my, I got my GoPros replaced and I've tested these authentic cards and batteries and all that with the new cards that are actually not counterfeit, and I have not had a problem. 
Um, but yeah, I use a metal case on the vlog. It allows me to put a GoPro mic adapter into the camera. I use some of that, uh, like industry level Velcro, whatever y'all know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. It it goes on the, uh, goes on the mic adapter. And then I have a small little two inch by two inch led light that slides into one of the receivers on that case. So it's off to the side, to the left of my GoPro, that millimeter, that, that mic adapter snaps into it. And then on the top, I have a little shoe, cold shoe on that same case. And that's what I snap in my road video micro. So that snaps into the mic adapter. And so you have a full vlog set up and all that is olive dab green surprise surprise <laughs> so everything's all damn green everything you can see on anything other than the light is obviously not painted over because i gotta have the light but that's it everything else is all damn so that's what i'm vlogging with i clip that on to the side of my vest and i walk like that and i have the hero 7 black on my bow i've got it mounted on a custom mount that I had somebody make for me, a buddy of mine. He's a machinist, and it's basically a piece of steel that's real thin that is matches my riser width, and it basically mounts into the same, the I guess the rest side of the sight holes. It goes into that, and then it has a 90, and it's hooked up to that, and I've got a little bracket that slides off of it, and it faces back to me. And then if I go to move and travel or I'm cutting ground, I can just slide it and push it back over towards my cables and it's out the way. Um, bicycle mount on the stabilizer. Uh, Y'all know what I'm talking about handlebar mount, GoPro mm -hmm. handlebar mount. That's on the stabilizer. It's all olive dab green. I have a tray. You've seen your standard... Uh, your standard battery pack. This like an external battery pack. Mm -hmm. I've got a little tray that matches this pack. It has that heavy duty Velcro stuff on the back of the battery pack. The battery's all dab. It snaps into this little metal tray that has the same heavy duty Velcro stuff. And then I have a cord that runs from that to the Hero 8, which is mounted on that bicycle mount right above this on the stabilizer, into the stabilizer. That way I can, my hand's not in the way. I can touch the GoPro if I need to when I'm setting up. If I'm just going rogue, no decoy, nothing. I can just hunt the turkey with just the bow. Um, the biggest piece of equipment, y'all, is going to be this little bow pod, which the guy does not make anymore, and you cannot get. It's, I guess you could get one if you could talk him into it. Um, it's hard to get them basically is what I'm getting at. I can maybe get you one, uh, but basically it is, it snaps in is there's a hole there and you put your stabilizer in through that hole and then twist your stabilizer down and it's locked in and it's basically carbon fiber rods and it keeps your bow upright, which is huge, you know, is you're, you're trying to take away movement steps. You're trying to eliminate as many steps as you can in the process of filming and, and then getting the shot off. 
So another long rabbit trail, y'all. <laughs> Sorry. That's a, that seems to be the common theme with me, but I try not to leave out details that could help somebody. One one more detail. Um, well, for one, I always ask this question. What bore are you shooting? And what's your setup? Okay. So I am, I'm kind of, I'm just one of those guys that if I like something and I use it, there's no product affiliation here either. I always say that because I think it's important because a lot of people just overdo the product stuff. But it is the same one I've been using. It's an obsession. Um, you know, I'm not saying it's, there's other bows that might might be better. I don't, I don't know. It, it is a good feel for me, and it shoots really good. I love it. Um, and then I also, I've got another obsession that I deer hunt with. But those are the two bows. It's like a, this one, I don't get into all the model stuff. I think this one is a hemorrhage. It's pretty short, and that's why I like using it, turkey hunting. Um, more compact, lighter. Although all the crap that I have on this thing, it probably weighs like a boat anchor. Um, yeah, that's what I'm using is 60. Now, a lot of people say, you know, you need to turn your poundage down. Um, it, it can help you. Um, I don't, I haven't seen as much a difference. You know, I shoot a 60 pound. I've got it on 60 pounds. And y- yes, uh, some people say lower poundage is better because the arrow may stay in the turkey and impede his flight. But my thing is that my thought process is this. If I'm bumping my poundage up to 60, what am I going to get from that? That's going to give me more distance. So I'm not trying to shoot the turkey out there at 40. Um, I want to keep it. The farthest shot I want is probably 30. Now, I did shoot one or two a few years ago, probably at 40, and that was kind of dumb, but I was having a hard year, and I hit them perfect, but, or one was lucky. I hit one in the head, and I was not meaning to, but I was trying to guess how high over his head I needed to put it, ended up hitting him in the head, so that's not, it's not that I'm an expert, I just got lucky, um, I'm no, like I say, I'm no Levi Morgan, I just got lucky, but. Yeah, 30 is, I want to be able to shoot 30. And the reason why, especially with this new setup, is if I'm in a, I call it rogue, we'll just reference it rogue. If I'm just just the bow and that's it, nothing else. And I need to be able to shoot 30 in the woods. I want to be able to, you know, he goes behind a tree and I draw and he comes out and then I put it on him and shoot him. Um, so that's why it's a trade-off for me. I feel like if I put the air where it's supposed to be anyways with a two and a 16th inch cut head, we're not going to have problems. You know what I mean? That's kind of the thought, I guess, behind that. Now, one other thing you do, you cover, I mean, I've seen in your videos, you cover your the front of your bow with like some ivy looking stuff. Most definitely. I forgot that part. It's probably a pretty big part. Right. So, biggest thing. Hobby Lobby, go to Hobby Lobby, go get you some ornamental ivy. You can get creative with it, get Martha Stewart with it. It, it doesn't really matter. You just, you want to have, I try to get the greenest type of looking stuff I can get. I don't like brown, I like green. Um, and the thought behind that is I'm trying to match the spring foliage the best I can. And that's going to be the difference. 
Uh, you're not going to see me wear any leafy suit that does not have a lot of green in it. Now, I've got that new, uh, I'm a sucker for Bottomland, like I told you. They can come out with Bottomland, Dagum, uh, anything, and I'll be the first one to put it in the shopping cart. And I have their new pullover that's really nice, uh, but I probably won't wear it. It's probably just one of them things that I got because they might not make it anymore, and so I bought two of them. <laughs> but that green is called Arcturus. Arc, A-R-C-T-U-R-U-S. This is a big deal. I feel like it makes a difference. If you're trying to get them, like, really, really close, it's a green leafy suit. And I can disappear next to anything in the spring woods around April 15th here. From April to pretty much, it depends on our spring. But any kind of spring woods, when stuff starts blooming, it, you will disappear. I mean, it just, it's that effective. It's just all green. And I put, I've got the ivy on the bow. I've got, I don't worry about ivy on my hat. What I do there is I just use that same pullover, that green leafy. It's got a, a thing you pull over your hat and that's perfect. Um, I don't paint my face. I just, I have a, uh, a mossy oak green leaf, uh, face mask. I just pull it up over and, um, and I use some green leaf gloves. And I know the big thing that I do that makes a difference is when I get, I get situated, sit on my butt to where I can draw and I've got a good range of movement if I need it. So if I set it up to shoot the furthest right I can, that way, if he starts going left, I can still kill him. Um, and a big thing getting them close is I'm always looking for a bunch of leaf litter, a bunch of pine straw. Anything I can put over my pants, because I wear basically the same bottom line pants all year. I might have like two different pairs I wear. But I'm putting stuff over my legs regardless of every setup. So it really doesn't matter if it's I could be wearing just about just tan car hearts or something or khaki pants. It wouldn't matter because I've got leaf litter and pine straw and everything I can find in that same habitat. I'm throwing it all over my legs. Moss, it doesn't matter what it is. I'm just trying to cover that whole side of my body. Hmm. So and that makes a big difference. Did you have something, John? No, I, you put it on. You put that stuff on the ivy on your tripod as well, or not? All right. So, so the the tripod is kind of a fifty-fifty. It, it's kind of aggravating <laughs> with how fast I'm packing it in that vest mm -hmm. and how fast I'm pulling it out because it tends to grab on stuff. Um, it it kind of gets in the way. Um. I'm not big on the throwing something over it because that's just in the way. And so I'm trying to make it as streamlined and as efficient as I possibly can. Um, what I typically do is I'll just try to pile debris, litter, whatever I can around the legs. And sometimes uh, it's just what I feel like. I mean, Sometimes, mostly what I do now is I'll cut some brush around me, just a few little things, not some extravagant blind or natural blind or nothing, but I'm just going to cut 
just a few bushy stuff and stick it in the ground next to the legs and that's it so a couple snips real quick the next setup you get to cut a few more things um you asked me this question earlier and i didn't really go into it in full detail but i'll give you this little snippet the the bow is a lot different this way with the filming in the sense that i have to be more calculated so there's times i have to set up quick but most of the time i'm just using wisdomship to pick my way into that perfect spot that i know this is the right spot to kill him and i'm kind of putting my eggs in that basket if that makes sense and so that's why i can take my time i can be calculated i can think about what i need to do and then i'll snip a few things and I'll put it in front of those legs. That's a lot easier than me trying to grab that thing and getting it caught up in stuff. You know what I mean? Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we didn't really call, we didn't cover calling and we probably don't have time to, but uh, as far as the details going into the details of calling, but there's all types of calls that you can use at different times that make a difference. And that could be most times I'm going to throw in some Jake Yelps to a gobbler. Uh, just because that can incite jealousy. A lot of times a jake will calc or yelp in response to a gobbler strutting. So you're kind of painting a picture that, hey, there's a hen over there, but there's also a gobbler. Well, then when he comes over the hill or he comes around the bend or something like that, and he sees he sees that what he was been hearing, then there you go. It, it's, it's like an aha moment for him. It, it kind of connects the dots, uh, so to speak. So, and so, I didn't mention. Go ahead. No, say, I, is, I it, is there a reference? Because um, I mean, I don't know the difference between Jake Yelps and Hen Yelps and Tree Yelps and all of that. Is there some sort of reference that you'd point people to? Like online? A- anywhere. <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, a video and well, any. any uh, audio cassette (laughs) um i just learned by being out there and and listening to turkeys Mm -hmm. uh because you know when i grew up there wasn't it nobody did have any of that so i kind of had to to learn and all that nowadays people are afforded a lot more ability because of youtube and stuff like that Mm -hmm. i don't know of anything i've I've never watched anything like that so i i know somebody that probably has something on that might be Matt Van Size. Uh no product plug here either. But Matt, uh when you're talking about realism, there is no better. I mean, he is he is the line that everyone else should be judged on as far as humans go and and sounding like a turkey. I mean, he might have something. I haven't seen anything of his that would have calling as far as like breaking down the calls. Um, he might though, I would look at maybe him. Uh, I know he's like with Mothy Oak. So I think I want to say there might be something on, they've got like a million playlists. So there's probably something on, I would check Mossy Oak probably would have something. I about guarantee it. Um, that's something I kind of want to, and I know it's out there. It's probably as simple as just typing in YouTube, uh, plain hen yelp. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and and I guarantee you there's guys that have actual live hens doing it. And then you can type in assembly yelp. 
just to give you a rough draft, because I know I know this is went on a while, and I don't want to keep y'all, but you have a plain Yelp doesn't have as much as as much emotion into it. It's very laid backish. It's not as many notes. It's maybe a little bit more drug out as far as the note. So it's not like a. It's not. It's like a. I don't know how to explain it. I'll explain the assembly. Assembly Yelp, you hear a sin assembly Yelp, she is searching for company more. And you can have an, the Yelp of excited him, that's something else. But a plain Yelp is kind of drawn, each note's kind of drawn out. It's not, it doesn't have as much, like, plead into it. There's a little plead, but it's just a plain, hey, I'm searching for company. An assembly is a lot of notes, and typically... They will start drawn out, and then they will be repetitive. You know, it's like yeah, 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 and she'll just keep going, and she can keep that thing going for twenty, twenty-five, thirty notes, and then she'll she'll come back off of it. And she'll crank it back up again. That's an assembly yell. Cutting or excited hen calling is when she's she's cutting and then she's getting very amped up with her yelping. Her yelping is excited. You can tell it in in the feel of it. She's just emitting an essence of excitement uh, and she'll cut. She'll throw cuts in there. Uh, you know, stuff like that. That's a excited hen yelp. Um, a tree yelp is very subtle. Uh, now the funny thing is, is a tree yelp is real subtle, but then a tree yelp, she can make progressions in her wake up where she's just, you know, if I had a call, I'd do it, but it probably over the phone, it's not going to be as good, but she's like real soft with it, you know, and then she'll, She'll, she's just calling, and then she's yeah, 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 and then she's back down low again. Then she raises up a little bit, then back down again. And she's just making. I've heard hens just out blasting, yelping from the tree before they fly down, and then they fly down, they cackle on their way down. So there's different kinds of yelps to answer your question. A Jake yelp, and hens are typically there's hens that are a little bit lower pitched, but their hens going to have a lot more high end in it. Typically, she's going to have that front note. So that front note is the clearer, higher pitch. The rasp is found in the back end of the, of the yelp. A gobbler, his yelp is different than a hen, and most people probably sound more like a jake than they do a hen, and they just don't know it because um, they haven't paid attention to the vocabulary of a wild turkey. But a jake has very spaced out, drawn out yelps with a lot of back-end honk, is what I call it. It's a lot of honk in the back of it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So you have a hen that's like, I, I hate to do it with my mouth, because it's probably going to sound cheesy, and I don't even, I about talk my vocal cords off, so good <laughs> luck. But a hen is more like, yeah, 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 yeah. And a Jake is more like, yeah, 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 yeah. He's got, he just got that honk in the back end of it, and it's it's more spaced. The notes, 
the actual note itself is drawn more, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a, a Jake yelp. And gobblers will yelp at like assembly. I mean, they'll yelp to, they'll yelp in key, 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 in order to find other turkeys in the fall a lot of times. So gobblers will plain yelp, just like a hen will plain yelp. So there's different things you say, and there's fighting purrs, there's cluck and purr. Um, cluck and purr is a lot softer. It's not as aggressive. You hear a lot of people clucking and purring, and it's very aggressive. It's more of an aggressive purr than it is an actual contented. If you hear those little pips and whines and the little half, little under-the-breath yelps, that's, to me, that's what a hen's doing. And she's just... If you listen to a hen just walking through the woods feeding and going about her day, she's just doing those little pips and whines and little two, three note drawn out little subtle yelps that you can barely hear. And then she'll purr and cluck and she's just real content. And she might do a little bit louder yelp, but very soft. And that's kind of, that's kind of that. Um, yeah. So those are a few vocabularies. You're obviously your kiki run is your, you know, trying to find company big time, normally a lost turkey. Fighting purrs are very aggressive. You can throw Jake Yelps into it. You can slap your leg. There's, that's all different cuttings, another one. You know, so there's all kinds of different things you can pull. What I call it is pulling, pulling turkey vocabulary out the tool of communication. It's a toolbox of communication. And you have to kind of figure out, okay, what do I pull out? And when do I pull it out? When do I play that card? You know what I mean? It's kind of like a chess match. When do I move that pawn? When do I pull the queen? You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. And really, obviously, somebody's got to spend a lot of time to kind of learn that. That's that's not something you just pick up overnight. That's a lot of time that goes into figuring all that out. Uh, but it can pay off a lot. I mean, that's 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 a big part. Uh, that's great information. Like I said, I I don't know what I'm doing when I'm calling, but I know that I can get a response. And uh, I mean, I th- I think that that speaks to you know ninety percent of the people, or at least most of the people that I'm I'm around. You know, I know Frank knows what he's doing. He's calling with a purpose. Um, mm-hmm. John, I don't know. You know, if he's on that, like, I think in the fall, he knows, you know, Kiki, all this stuff. Like, I'm just out there going, I'm just yelping. I mean, that, I mean, I'm, yeah, my daughter and I, it's, I say, what does a, a girl turkey say? Yelp, 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 yep. yep. What does the boy turkey say? Gobble, gobble, gobble. That's about my turkey vocabulary. Yeah. But I know oh, how yeah. to cluck and purr and, and cut and all that. I know years ago, back when, I mean, when, uh, when I was still working at the shop, and I was driving a fork truck. I drove everybody in the warehouse in my department crazy with all the <laughs> turkey calling I did. It was like all night long. Working on the, yeah. you know, but. And I even had well, back then cassette tapes that I would listen to and, you know, but I kind of got out of that and more into the the out calling and trying to figure that out. But <laughs> Most definitely. Well, you know, it's a. Uh, I'd say this too. Uh, it helps a lot of people if it helped me. And, and I'm, it's like being a student of the game. I'm still 
unless you're Matt, I say this, unless you're Matt Van Sice, you got a lot of more work to do. <laughs> and, and and not to blow his head up, but he's a great guy. Um, and he's a very humble guy. And But he is the closest thing to a turkey a human can sound like right now. Um, but there's lots of guys, there's lots of us out there that can sound like a turkey, a real turkey. But I pick up new stuff every single year that I have had a diaphragm in my mouth since I was 11 when I bought that little HS strip true double at Walmart. <laughs> I'm learning, picking up something or figuring out something that I used to not be able to do as well. And now I can do it. And it, to me, I say, I can approve it that, okay, I got that finally figured out. I can do the little, the sound just like a hen when she does that little, little pip and whine. She that little, whoo. When she does that, when she's feeding and clucking and purring, when she does that little pip and whine, which it sounds probably horrible. I don't have a voice and I'm sitting here with my mouth and no call. But you get the point of what I'm saying is it's that little, that could be something I picked up one year. And I got that figured out. I can do it to the point where not don't do it to where you get it right, but do it to where you can't get it wrong. Then you've got it figured out. It's, it's automatic. That's when you, you got it. Then I move on to something else. You know, that'll just happen. And I'll be thinking, I mean, this year I changed the whole way that I even yelp. I don't even yelp the same way that I've been yelping for 24 years, <laughs> which is insanity. And I was telling Matt that the other day on the phone, I said, man, the funniest thing is that, I just picked up something over 24 years, you know, I have progressed to a point where I was sounding, yeah, like a turkey, but then I figured something out that picked it up another level with the yelping. It, it learned how to, just to yelp. The cutting learned how to tweak that a little bit or it's sharper. It's more fired off. It's more, there's no... A lot of guys, you hear like a, some, you'll hear a lot of squirrel in it, is what I call it. It's got a lot of barking squirrel in it, in the cutting. Mm -hmm, and then, mm -hmm. and then I was more towards the sharper, but I, sometimes I get a little, little eensy beat of that, that kind of roll off on the back of that cut. And so now learning how I yelp now is different. It's all from the gut. Everything's from the gut. There is no jaw in my yelping anymore and that taught me how to cut the cuts off sharp so it's almost like i'm talking like this and i'm kind of monotone but then i pick it up you know what i mean it's mm. your vocal it's in the gut it's just like a hen you know she can just be talking and she's perfect no matter what she says but then she gets she ramps it up it's all from her gut she's moving her jaw absolutely and there's guys that sound just like a hen uh and and i sounded very much like them with the jaw action but to me i just it helped me sound they can do it better with the jaw action i learned it without the jaw it's with my body type and how i kind of do it that's the cool thing about it is you've got guys that like they can 
they use no jaw action, and you got guys that use a lot of jaw action, and they all sound turkey. <laughs> and I kind of jumped into the all from the gut, and that's when it picked up my calling, you know, as far as the realism and the louder stuff. But the soft stuff has always been kind of where I've I've done well at um, for probably the last, I don't know, 12, 12, 13 years. Purring is something I've figured out first. That's the one call that, that's the first call that I figured out how to do. And and I could say that I, I felt like I sounded just closest to a wild turkey because that's the first thing I asked an old timer is, how do you purr? And he was like, you don't need to know that. <laughs> and he was like, you can just cluck and kill a turkey. And that's true. That's very true. He's a very patient hunter. And he taught me how to have patience. But I wasn't satisfied with that because, you know, this is my new, instead of basketball, instead of sports, like this is what all I wanted to do. Uh, this isn't a sport. It's a way of life to me. But this is all I wanted to do since I was 11. And then when that fire was lit in me, I didn't want to know a little bit. I wanted to know everything I could learn, all the details. And uh, but that's kind of how I learned that the purr. But yeah, it's it's neat, man. You learn you learn uh, different stuff every every year. It's just the more you spend time out there, and I'm sure that y'all y'all have a great spring this year. I sure hope I do. <laughs> well, like I say, we're 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 but the draws come out the 16th, so we'll find out if he, what yeah. season he got or whatever. Like mine will be the basically the whole month of May. But um, yeah, we're we're looking forward to it, and it, I don't know. I, I think we're gonna put out more of our failure videos. We had a bunch. Of, I mean, we called in a ton of turkeys last year and had them all on film, and just you know because we didn't kill anything, we didn't put out all but the the misses and we had some amateur even more amateur than us cameramen <laughs> camera do me a favor and just show it because <laughs> i want to watch it so i can like relate with you <laughs> well you're i mean the one video was it was pretty awesome my father-in-law called this turkey in from 500 yards away easy across all this private up this ridge right to me and i missed uh, I hit a branch, but no blind, just sitting there next to this big oak tree. And, uh, mm. the, the cameraman never zoomed out from when it was 500 yards away. So if you're into mossy oak tree bark, <laughs> you're, you're, you're really going to dig this video. Cause there's turkeys goblin and there is Heck of an audio file. Oh yeah. 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 Yep. So I said if, if you're a biologist, uh, studying tree bark, you'd be, uh, you'd be happy. <laughs> but yeah, we're Jerry we're Barco. yeah we're we're really looking looking forward to uh, getting back out there this year and 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 giving it a go. And like I say, John's John's up as a first shooter, so um, he he gets to he gets to put up or shut up now. <laughs> well, John, <laughs> let it let it ride, man. Oh yeah, uh, you're gonna do well. I'm gonna be building up the. Uh, I'm going back to trying to. I'm going to try to lop their head off with the uh, Magnus bullhead this year again. So I, uh, you've got more, more um, zeal than me. Cause I'm, <laughs> I'm just a sucker for that. 
as sure as thing as I can get. And like I say, I always tell people, I'm, I'm, I'm not some crazy great shot. Um, I just like to get them close because I know the closer I get them, the better the chance that, that I will kill one. Um, I, so I might still have, I, I still have this, uh, four inch expandable that I was using last year, but I never got to shoot a turkey with. I might have this one in the quiver as well. Oh, okay. <laughs> as long as you got that bow tuned, it'd probably shoot it right regardless. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's not an issue for John. Yeah. He's the, he's the, he's the, he probably forgot more about <laughs> Bows than than we'll ever know. We we just had a scenario that I think puts it in perspective for people. You know, when I try and explain John how much he is into the bows and everything, um, he shaved his beard and had to take his bow apart and reshim the cams because he was getting a, a left tear, right tear. Oh my god! <laughs> so, well, I just I had my bow all tuned, paper tuned, and everything for. You know, when I was shooting my beard and I had, you know, a little facial pressure and and then I shaved my beard and I was, you know, retuning it and I was like, eh, it could be a little better. So I just, you know, ended up pulling off the, the bottom cam and reshimming it and I got it perfect. So something got, like, got that tear out of there. Sure, sure <laughs> did. You know, that's the thing. It just makes it a little bit more forgiving as well. That's it, man. Yeah, it's that's another thing that I've. I've uh, I've got a lot more to learn about, but it, I have learned. I have taken in a lot from all that tuning and shimming, and you know, getting a bullet hole, bare shaft, and you know, all those little adjustments that are important. You know, setting the peak, tying the peak, all that stuff that people don't. I just want to get to where, you know, I can work on my bow in the field if something goes wrong because I'm not these trips, I'm taking one bow and that aha moment or that feeling when you leave and go 3000 miles across the United States and all you brought was a bow (laughs) and you have like four States on your list. That is an uneasy feeling uh, for sure. Because, you know, something goes wrong, plus you're trying to, you got to think about what you're trying to accomplish, the task at hand, and then you got that, then you've only got, it's not like it's a shotgun to where you can just, you know, go get it fixed or something like that pretty easily. Um, A little bit more in-depth there. A lot lot more can go wrong, I'd say, with with a bow. Oh, certainly, certainly. But um, yeah, we're we're gonna have to catch up with you after the season so we can uh, compare notes on uh, you know you can grade our paper so to speak and tell us <laughs> what you would have done differently. And uh, I don't know about that, man. <laughs> I'd be glad to. I'd be glad to to. Uh, I'd be glad to offer any any help I can, man. I'm, you know, it's a. You know, like I say, no matter how many uh, memories I make and successes I have. And, that that bow right there, I'm looking at it right now. Is it 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 resembles uncertainty and excitement, and just the chase and the experience and the level of intensity and intimacy with that animal and the closeness. That's that's kind of what I built this um, YouTube channel on. Is 
you know, closer to wildlife, closer to God. So that's, I don't just put that on there. I mean that. I mean, that's, that's where I'm at peace and that's what I enjoy doing. Um, Michigan's on the list at some <laughs> point in the future. So, well, you know, we uh, compare notes together one year for a weekend. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, for sure. I don't know what year, what year that'll be. It'll probably be a while. I'm working on the West, um, the West and the Northeast predominantly right now. Because uh, when I have kids one day, I'll, that'll kind of, if I got all those knocked out, the weekend stuff's more doable. <laughs> exactly. I may never complete this thing, but I'll have fun trying. <laughs> and so where can everybody follow along with you on the journey? Close Proximity TV on YouTube. And uh, I've also got a Facebook and a, uh Instagram. So okay. I post some some really not awesome pictures. <laughs> uh, I try. I'm not, you know, y'all. I'm not one of those uh, Instagram. I I'm not one of those Instagram experts or somebody that posts consistently. Probably enough to uh, either Facebook or Instagram. I try to just throw it out there to people when I've got some content up. Or I'll, I'm trying to do better about throwing a teaser up there, you know, before like the actual hunt comes out. Because mm-hmm. lately, I put it out after the hunt's out, because <laughs> because that makes sense. But uh, yeah, but the YouTube channels where where they can watch the the hunts and everything, and it's real time as fast as I can. I'm about to post a uh, video where they can actually see what we've been talking about with the whole bow setup. I'll have a video that they can actually watch it. Now they've listened to it. They can watch um, how I set the turkey bow up from start to finish with the tuning, everything. Uh, tying the peep in, the tuning, the leafy, all that stuff. I'm going to go back over my whole setup, how I pack everything, so y'all can see what I've been talking about here. And then also I'll have a strategy scenario out on field turkeys predominantly flatland turkeys in the south so i have a video on that and i'm going to kind of add to that as i can um throughout the year i may add to it you know after spring some some more so it just depends but yeah i'm gonna try to try to give as much value as i as i possibly can um because i appreciate other people that that you know share stuff that i can learn you know well, awesome. We really appreciate it. I'll put some links um, up on our our website with uh, with uh, some of that information on there and where everybody can find you. But like I said, this has been fun. I was really looking forward to this, and, and there's a ton of information in there, so I, I really appreciate it. Yeah, I think it, it was probably the longest one I've done. <laughs> <laughs> We've been on the phone for about three hours, so I don't know how long this we, I apologize to anybody. I hope y'all – I hope people that are listening to this have some long drives. <laughs> oh, man. I have, have some long nights so they can they can uh, get out a bottle of wine. And <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, this is awesome. It's not our longest podcast by, by any stretch. So I don't feel that bad then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no problem. All Take right. back what I said. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, man. All right, man. Y'all be good.
Shut up and sit down.